Hey, everybody out there, Chad Belding, another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Truly appreciate all of you joining us again. Thank you for subscribing. We're very excited of where we're going with it. Today's episode is brought to us by our friends at Traeger and Mountain Ops, both Salt Lake City, Utah companies. We truly appreciate their support. And right now what I'm doing is I'm holding a pair of four-ounce UFC official fight gloves and they're signed by a good friend of mine, outdoorsman, hunter, fisherman, conservation, owner of Fins and Feathers Outfitters, none other than Chad Money Mendez from the UFC. Chad, thanks for being here, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Do you remember what fight these were used in? Let me look at them real quick. Those. Don't be trying to take them uh, back now. You gave these to me about a year ago. Yeah, let me see. I think these were... Please tell me McGregor or Aldo or somebody that you just smoked in the jaw with it. I think they were uh, Lamas, who I knocked out in the first. In the first, was yeah. that? Did you get bonus fight bonus that night? Oh yeah, I remember that yeah. fifty thousand dollars fight bonus. How many of those have you won? I couldn't even tell you. I probably two or three, two or maybe three. four, four. Yeah, that's what I like about you is that when I ask you what your record <laughs> is or how many fight bonus, you're always just I don't know. Like I it don't just know. you you fight because you love it. Love it, man. I, I love fighting. I love training. I love competing. Um, I you know I love the lifestyle and I love being able to do that and then also do all the outdoor stuff okay. uh so yeah i mean I, I get crap all the time because people ask oh what's your record and i'm like uh, google it i don't know i think it's something like and then i'll give a number and they're like you don't even know your record yeah you told like, me ah. and you were off by two you had two more <laughs> losses than you really did when you told me your record the other yeah day. well that's a good one to forget then yeah so and also today we have matt pandolo my trainer my good friend back with us the reason matt's here is it's kind of like seven degrees of of Kevin Bacon here, but Matt is responsible for training Joey Gilbert, who was a, a, a world champion boxer. He was a part of the contender show with Sylvester Stallone and Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, Matt is responsible for a lot of Joey's success as far as his conditioning. You guys have heard Matt Pendle here before, but the reason that this is, uh, you know, Joey's friends with Uriah. You fight out of Team Alpha Male in Sacramento yep. with Uriah Faber, and mm -hmm. Uriah is a UFC Hall of Famer, one of your best friends, yep. a mentor. He actually is pretty much responsible for recruiting you into the UFC, isn't he, or the WEC? Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, I met Faber, oh, I was probably, I don't know, I was in high school. He was at UC Davis, that's where he wrestled, and uh, the wrestling community is super small, and uh, you know, I, I actually used to wrestle some open level tournaments where college guys would compete in these. And I was still in high school and I was actually competing against some of his teammates and uh, actually beat some of his teammates that were in college while I was in high school. And he's, he, I remember him coming up to me, man, like we got to try to get you to Davis. So he was actually recruiting me to try to come to UC Davis. And uh, that's illegal. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out there and, and, you know, did the whole, uh, the whole process and had fun, but ended up deciding that you, uh, Cal Poly was just, it was better, better for fit. me. I, I love the beach. I love, you know, being out there in that, in that type of atmosphere. Plus it was closer to home. So, uh, but we kept in touch. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it was my freshman summer going into my sophomore year during, um, we would do a six week training camp up in Tahoe where my coach at Cal Poly would put on a wrestling clinic. So people would come in and we were the instructors and Faber would come in and he would be an instructor as well. And, uh, um, you know, one of the, the weeks that he was there, he was training for a fight and he kept hurting all the other wrestlers. So nobody wanted to work out with him. And, uh, so I would jump in and, and work out with him and kind of just fell in love with it. Then, you know, I was doing jujitsu with him. He was beating the crap out of me, submitting me left and right. Cause I had no clue what I was doing, but he's like, I think you would be good at this. You should come up to team off and off. You're done, you know, fighting or wrestling and, and start fighting. 
He's like, I'll let you just crash at my place so you can afford to get your own place. And day after I graduated, through all my myself and U-Haul, moved up there and jumped right into pro practice. So and I think been there since. yeah, three. I think three months into training, I had my first pro fight. Ended up smoking the dude in the first round. And what what was that in WEC? No, that was a small show. That was uh, the PFC Palace Fighting Championship. Palace it was uh, located right there in Lemoore, California, next to kind of close to the naval base out there, but just a small show. And Matt, when you hear Chad talk about, you know, athletes, college athletes, you you train a lot of high school and college athletes yourself. Talk just a little bit, though. You train a lot of cross-country guys, a lot of track and field guys, baseball guys, rowing guys. You name it, you did it. Women's basketball, a lot of female sports, a lot of men's sports. But you're also trained some combat sports with boxing and MMA. With Joey and those guys, was it a different mindset when you're actually battling and, and, and trying to beat up somebody? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it's an honor to be around Chad. I got a Which little Chad? man crush Which on Chad. Chad Melding or Mendez? Well, you know, <laughs> we'll go with both Chads. But, uh, I like that. Yeah. We're good so, yeah, no, you know, one thing that uh, I always say is when you're around a warrior like Chad is, it's it's something special. It's, it's different. Uh, athletes are, uh, you know, definitely made for a certain purpose and each person has to find, you know, their own best version of them, of themselves. But when you're around a real warrior, it's a little bit different. Even when Diego Sanchez was at the gym with Joey working out, just the, just the look in their eyes, you know, what, 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 when you see an athlete like that going, it's so impressive. You don't see that in many people, even great athletes don't necessarily have that warrior mentality like, uh, this man to my right does. So it's an honor being here. Well, thanks, man. Well, and that's well that. said, man. And it's, it's funny that you say that because like when I was in the gym with Mendez, just, you know, <laughs> and I'm not, a, I don't tend to be a fighter. I, I wish I would have been, but he watching him train and watching the, the mentality that it takes to, and I often think about that is like when you're in your hotel room the night before a fight in Vegas and you, you know you're going to get you're getting ready to walk out in front of 20,000 fans probably millions on pay-per-view and it takes a certain kind and you you've done it you, Matt you were you jumped out of airplanes to go fight wildfires you know there there's soldiers that are fighting for our freedoms and everybody has a different mentality in a different place and a prize fighter or a a warrior like you're saying it's just something that I've always looked up to. And that's why I've always had the most gratitude and ultimate respect for boxers. I'm a, a huge boxing fan from way back when I was in the early eighties, you know, when Sugar Ray and George Foreman and, and Ray Boom Boom Mancini used to come to the Reno Tahoe area and train because of our altitude here. Pops would always take me down to watch the training camps. And I would just sit there and watch him jump rope and hit a speed bag and hit a heavy bag. And I was like, Man, I just love baseball so much. I played baseball, but I just wish now I would have got into that warrior mentality and been a wrestler, been a fighter, a grappler, got into jiu-jitsu. Matt's wife, Aaron's getting ready to get her first degree black belt in nice. jiu-jitsu. And it's just a cool lifestyle to see what you're doing. So it's a pleasure to have Chad Mendez here too. And we're going to talk a lot, of, uh, a lot about fighting today. Let's just start it off with what just happened, you know, recently. What, you know, what, what's going on? In, where are they at? In Cleveland? Or is it no, in Brooklyn? That was, that was New York. It's yeah. in Brooklyn. Yeah. What's going on with this? I mean, Connor lost it. Dude, yeah. I don't know what's going on with that guy. I don't know. Um, yeah, he just completely went off his rocker this time, I think. Uh, you know, and, and, and whether there was a plan in his head of trying to create the the stage for one of the biggest fights in UFC history or not I think it just went a little further than he expected with the glass shattering and Mike Kiesa's face and and him getting pulled from the card because of it 
um, you know, other fighters getting injured. I think some of the staff, like I heard one of the guys broke his hand trying to keep Connor from throwing something. You know, these are all going to be a bunch of big lawsuits, I would imagine, against them. And him going to jail, I, I just don't think that, uh, you know, that was something he expected to happen, you know, throwing that type of fit. So, And it just it just blows <clears> my <throat> mind that all, you know, I, I've watched the the videos and the documentaries and, and you know, and the Mayweather fight, which to this day, you know, him and Dana pulled it off and good for him. They made a lot of money, mm-hmm. but he didn't deserve to be in the ring with, with Floyd Mayweather, in my opinion. And I'll say that to anybody is that Floyd Mayweather is a specimen and a special man when it comes to the science of boxing. Um, now, is that taking anything away from Conor McGregor as a fighter and a warrior? No, he's, he works hard. He trains hard. Um, but I, it's just, it's almost like the celebrity and I, it, it I wish it would go the other way. And I, and I don't know if it really happened with Rhonda and you can tell me your opinion on this, but Rhonda won the belt and she was so sought after. She was doing all of the late shows. She was doing Ellen. She was on everything in America. Then she started doing motion pictures and being in movies mm-hmm. and which congratulations to Uriah, you know, being in the oh, new, yeah, the cool. new rampage movie. Yep. He waited until he was retired, but he's with the rock now. But then Rhonda goes out and gets knocked out by Holly Holm. Then she comes back and tries to redeem herself and gets knocked out again. And she, it wasn't like she, it wasn't what she was the same person anymore. And it was almost like that celebrity and that stardom and that money. It just kind of started climbing all these different levels and they lost their purpose. Their focus was the fight and the respect should have been to the fight. Cause that's what got them there. And to me, Rhonda's, you know, more power to her in the WWE and everything she's doing. She's awesome. But I think that Connor's like, he's got the, the Netflix documentary now and he's gotten movie offers and he's with, you know, doing all these big promotional deals. You know, you gotta, you gotta stay grounded and rooted. And do you think that's, that's what it is as people start to lose their feel or what is it? Oh uh, man, it, it's a tough one. I get asked this quite a bit and this is my, um, outlook on, on this stage in our lives as, as being fighters and as, as pro athletes, you know, we, we go through a lot of us through our, you know, high school, college career of whatever type of martial arts that we're doing. For me, it would be like wrestling, you know, and each, each section of that life is the catapult into the next one. So I wrestle, I focus on my wrestling in high school. The ultimate goal is to get a scholarship to go to college. Um, you work your butt off that happens. Then you go to college. All right. Now I'm my, my goal is to completely dominate in college, get my degree, which is the main reason why I'm there. Wrestling is, is the platform for that. But to, for me, becoming a fighter, being able to learn and achieve the highest level of wrestling that I can in college to catapult me into my fighting career. Now, as a pro athlete, becoming a pro athlete and a fighter, the, the journey that you go through being a fighter, the next catapult in life is being set or doing something that you can do for the rest of your life that you absolutely love. Like for me, being an outdoorsman, creating a, a celebrity guide service or something like that. So I think keeping your mindset in the fact that, you know, you're working hard, you're trying to achieve goals along the way to where, you know, when, when that chapter of your life comes to an end, it's now catapulting you into the next one. So I think it's great for these guys to, you know, they're growing their star power, they're, they're fighting, they're winning, they're working hard. And then it just gets to the point in their career, usually towards the end of their career where, you know, all the other star stuff starts coming along. The the stardom, you know, you're doing the movies, you're you're um, doing all the different types of big shows, and like Ronda doing the WWE and all that type of stuff. I think that's the next chapter in their life. I don't necessarily think um, that it's taking away from their focus on the fighting. 
I think what's happening is it's just kind of starting to make that transition into the next chapter. Um, and for Rhonda's sake, you know, her, most of her career, especially when she was completely dominating, she wasn't going against very big, powerful strikers. She was like one of the first. Yeah. And so I think towards the end of her career, there was just other female fighters that were starting to progress and they were getting into the position of now there's no other person for her to fight except for these big, strong, powerful strikers. And her stand-up was her weakness, in my opinion. Her ground game was top-notch. But if you go in there, you're as big as her and as strong as her, and you can defend her takedowns or her throws, there's a good chance if you have the power, you can knock her out. And that's what happened with those fights. I don't think that it was Ronda just falling off or her losing her your, her mental um, edge as far as being a, a top-level fighter. I just think that it was her time to either improve and, and try to figure out a way to get the stand-up on the next level and it just didn't happen or you know your next chapter ne- the next chapter of your life is coming along so i think that's, See, that's, just a, that's, with that's her. an awesome way to look at it you know and it's a great point and it's well taken by myself and i'm sure you too matt but i guess you know everything you know you get vaulted into a different portion of your life mm-hmm. and and you know i was looking at it more like her mentality with her mom and her coaches and her olympic career and the way that she felt when she lost that Olympic match. And I think she ended up winning bronze and judo. Mm. She just didn't want to lose. And I know for, there has to be a, there's no way that Ronda Rousey would want to go out, not on top. And yeah. that's where I was going with it is that, but now your point's very well taken Chad is that the, the girl she was fighting. I mean, she was really a pioneer of that female fight game coming mm-hmm. into the spotlight and becoming like, wow, look at this. This is a yeah. female dominator. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, here comes Brazil, mm-hmm. and here comes Czechoslovakia and Lithuania, and they got all these athletes that are just Stepping bigger, and, and, yeah. and they can strike, and they can yeah. throw. And when you can strike and keep somebody at bay, you have the advantage. Yeah. Um, what When you say that, though, when I say that they have the advantage, I've always been in my mindset that, the best MMA guys, the best all around fighters or have a wrestling background. Do you agree with that? I do agree. But with that being said, the type of wrestler also makes a difference because there's guys that in the wrestling world, they're not very explosive. They're not very strong. They're not very, um, powerful. They're more funky is what we like to call them. So the guys that usually kind of just hang out and then whenever someone else makes a move on them, they shoot in, they're the guys that are like doing all the defense, counter, rolling around, floppy type stuff, and they're winning on more of a technical base. Um, and those types of guys, in my opinion, not always, but they don't always transfer well to a great MMA fighter. And that's just because they didn't have the like extreme athleticism that transfers over into being able to blast someone off of their feet. You know, a lot of their stuff is they have to get a hold of you. And if you're, the type of person that can keep a wrestler like that at bay, it's going to be tough for, for that wrestler to use that wrestling on you. You know what I mean? So I think it just kind of depends on what type of wrestler you were. When you talk about, um, you know, when you get in the, the octagon with somebody or in the ring with somebody and you, I, I, I made the comment about a, a wrestling background is very important in my opinion. And, and I, I'm trained with Matt a few days a week and I want Matt to start this. And then I want you to come in on it on, on breathing and heart rate. And, and this applies to life. And where I'm going with this Mendez is that whether you're pulling back a bow or you're, or you're trying to focus or you're getting ready to take a jump shot or you're getting ready to pull the trigger, you're getting ready to do anything in life. It doesn't matter if it's sports related, recreational related, it's water skiing, snow skiing, what breathing is very important for your focus, your mentality, your stability, all that. 
Matt's very good at teaching this. And Matt, talk a little bit about the systematic breathing. And, and I might have that word wrong, but, and then I want you to come in on recovery. And when you go back to that seat in between rounds, it's not very long before you got to go mm-hmm. back out there. And when he tells me to do a 40 second set, and then I get 10 to 20 seconds to recover with this type of breathing and it's ready, it's go time again. I'm just like, God, I can't imagine having to go out and fight five minutes right now. Matt, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, well, we did that a lot with Joey Gilbert, getting him ready for, uh, you know, his championship fights where you get a minute to get your breath back, you know, and, and uh, between rounds. So a lot of times we'll go five deep breaths in between sets instead of just a specific amount of time. So if you can get that uh, breathing back within five, that's good. You know, mm-hmm. that's probably 20, 30 seconds where your heart rate's coming back down to say under 130 when it was over 170, something like that. And so, you know, we like to look at like Jill Miller, for example, gut smashers, you know, you get the the breathing organized, but now you have to know how to really control it. And I think in real life scenarios, you've, you've got to put that into your training. You can't expe- just expect it to come. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, just like getting back to Joey, you know, I used to have him sit down between his sets, just like he's going to sit down in a boxing match and get his breathing back, you know? And one other thing I'd like to kind of throw in there is I, you know, I've done boxing. I, I love it. Really enjoy it. Feel like I've gotten myself in good condition. I'm, I'm ready. Right. I get in there and I do some sparring guy gives me a good shot in the ribs, end up actually cracking my ribs. Right. And for the next two, three times I was doing that, I'm flinching. I can't get my breathing back. I'm freaking out. Right. And again, I'd actually like to turn that to Chad. You know, how do you change your mindset so that you can still get your breathing organized, calm your body down after it's been through a trauma like that? Right. Again, we're getting back to a warrior mentality, but that's where I think, you know, separates guys like Chad from, you know, just fans like myself. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll admit that's something that's very extremely difficult to do. Once, once you have a very uh, traumatic injury, especially during the fight, like if, if you were to get kicked and something cracked in there, you have that pain and you obviously have to bluff it because, you know, you can't show that to your opponent because they're going to jump all over it and try to finish you. So being able to bluff it and then also, you know, not overreact, like you said, like you flinch, like, cause then that's just another giveaway. Like, oh man, he's really biting on that. Something that, that kick must've hurt him. So I'm going to just keep doing it or set it up to where I'm going to rip that body doing something else. So, um, it's very difficult to do, but, um, you know, it's, it's, and it's not really anything you can train for because it's not like I can get hurt in practice and then have to fight my way through it. You know what I mean? So, it's just something you either have or you don't like you get put in that position. And it's like, am I going to just give up or, and, and just quit? Or am I going to push through this and not be a sissy and, and keep fighting? So does Joey teach you how to breathe as a boxer though? I mean, are you learning to breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth? Is it in through your nose, out through your nose? Is it expanding your diaphragm? How do you breathe when you, because um, literally every ounce of air and oxygen counts in the oh, octagon. Yeah. Yep. If you lose a little bit, you're, 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 you're risking, you're losing your concentration, your focus, yeah. everything. Cause most of the time when somebody's getting choked out or somebody's in a position to where they're getting tired and their heart rate to the roof, and you always talk about it, Matt, is that if a bear's chasing you, is it fight or flight? You know, like when you're gasping for breath, mm-hmm. can you retain yourself and get ready to, to make a good decision? And as a fighter, I'm sitting there going, man, when I get winded, just doing these drills that Pandola puts me through after 40 seconds, I'm like, 
dude, I would get knocked out right now. Cause I lose all composure. Yeah. Talk to me about like, what are you doing? <clears throat> like, obviously you're in tremendous shape, but breathing has to still play a role once the bell goes off. Of course. I think getting in the best possible shape that you can get in for a fight is key. Um, but also training through those moments, just like you talked about where you're so exhausted that you feel like you can't do anything at all, but you still have a couple more rounds that you have to get through, you know? And so being able to push yourself bluff that you're not tired, um, and, and keep up with the explosiveness, staying sharp everywhere, not starting to get lazy because I'm tired, drop your hands or start doing things half ass, you know? Um, pushing through the proper technique when you are completely exhausted. I think training that over and over and over again um, definitely helps it when it's that moment of truth. When you're in that position where now you're you're hurt in a fight or you're so exhausted that you know you feel like all you want to do is just hit the ground and not move, you know you're going to be able to push through that and keep up with the proper technique because you've done it, you've pushed through it so much in training. But you know, as far as my breathing goes, um, you know we're taught to to breathe on every punch you're breathing out in the beginning when I was starting to learn the striking I would hold my breath I would you know you're just like ripping so hard and you're you're trying to focus on what combo they just told you to throw uh trying to keep your hands up you know put them where they're supposed to put them that you forget to breathe so I'm just like holding my breath after about you know two minutes of doing that I'm completely exhausted and so you know the boxing coaches the Muay Thai coaches um, any of the MMA coaches, no matter what you're doing, you're always taught to breathe while you're doing it. So it's definitely come a long way since then. And Matt, one of the things that Matt trains a lot, Chad is, is, and the reason that Matt's here is because I think in life, if you have somebody like Matt in my life to like, a, not, he's not, I wouldn't necessarily deem him my life coach, but he teaches me things like this and like his breathing techniques and his way of training me has given me a mindset of what you just said. You made a comment mm -hmm. about when you're down and you feel like I can't go anymore, I, I, I think about what he, when we train, like he's keep going. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter if your heart rate is this, you're still fine. And that's what pe people get scared. Yeah. They start freaking out and panicking because they think, Oh my God, my body's going to, is, is going down and it's not, yeah. you, it's amazing how you can push your body. So oh, yeah. when Matt trains, he always goes for the why, why, mm -hmm. where, what is your why? And to me, while I'm sitting here, Matt, you know, I know what my why is of, you know, I want my ligaments, my joints when I'm hunting and I'm bending down, and I'm putting out decoys mm -hmm. and I'm hunting 120 days in a row and I'm up early and going to bed late and it's cold and you're putting up with weather and all these different elements. I just, I want to feel good. Yeah. I want to, I want to, at the end of that hunting season, I want to be ready to go more. You know, I, I, I hate when hunting season ends, but I, I don't mm -hmm. want to wake up and go, man, my joints hurt or I pulled them my back as I strained my neck when I was turning this way to call geese. That's, that's unreal, right? Yeah. I think about soldiers over there living in ditches and sleeping in sand and what their why is and, and the mentality that they have to have. I don't know if I could put a why on a fighter. I mean, what is the, when you're going in to train for a fight, there is a lot of different whys because mm -hmm. you got to train, you got to be defensive. You got to be offensive. You got to be combative. You got to be strategic. You got to be intelligent. You can't just go in there and think that your left hook's going to knock everybody out mm -hmm. because someday you're going to get caught. So there's a lot of different whys, Matt, when you're training a fighter, right? Do you have any idea what his would be right now? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I just, you know, I've only been around Chad for a couple hours right now, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about how he drove up from Sacramento for a few hours and gets out of the truck and right away he starts, uh, you know, shooting his bow. Right. And I, I'm looking at the guy, he's 
organizing his spine really well. He's packing his shoulders. He's, he's controlling his breathing, all of this right after he gets out of this drive and he's a dead shot. He's, you know, and, and he's saying, you know, I'm the mayor of smoke town, right? Smoke city. <laughs> smoke city. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is what makes a guy like this so great. You know, uh, he's found a way hunting, I think is really complimenting your sport. You know, you found a way to really bring your body into a parasympathetic state, right? And you love doing it. It's your passion. But at the same time, you're actually practicing what's going to contribute to your sport, right? And so, you know, uh, his his why, I mean, it's tough to say not knowing Chad as, as well as I'd like to hopefully get to know you better. But uh, ultimately, you know, I think a guy like this, he instinctively knows that, look, I'm a survivor, Right. And I'm 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 going to do the things that I enjoy doing that make me feel like I'm, uh, you know, really practicing what I preach on a daily basis, whether that's in the ring, training hard or, you know, finding a way to decompress how to recover, respond right from all of this hard training with something that you really enjoy, which is actually improving your skill set. Right. But uh, I wouldn't imagine to guess what his why is because again a warrior like this that that uh, look in his eyes when he's about to pound you in the ground i, I don't know what where that comes from i wish i had it yeah i do too do you do you kind of get what i'm saying though is like yeah. what is the why you train every day like every time i talk to you you're getting ready to do two things work out or eat or sleep <laughs> yeah. and when you're in fight mode and you're not mm -hmm. in 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 business mode or game i mean it's what your mentality is oh, yeah. I, because you're not gonna you're never going to take a back seat to anybody when you go in that ring whether it was against aldo you took a mcgregor fight on nine days your career is astonishing when you look at the 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 opponents that you fought and the way that you performed in those fights the bonuses you've won the wins that you've got the knockouts you got it's hard to imagine that the only that I don't think you do it for the money. I don't think you do it for the stardom or the celebrity to sign another poster. You do it because you have this why inside of you, like this is me and this is what I'm gonna do. No matter what I do, I'm gonna do it right. And I see it in your hunting career, your, your cooking career, your processing career, everything that you do with fins and feathers, your why is to go at it a hundred percent. And the, the word that comes to mind is passion. Your why is passion. Huh? Exactly. And that's what I'm going to say. I just, this is all stuff that I absolutely love. And, being a I started wrestling when I was five years old. I, I didn't take a year off from five all the way up till now. This is the first time in my life these last two years that I've not competed and, and completely like given myself to a sport. But in that time, I've created fins and feathers and have completely um, taken the focus of that training in and put it into the growth of fins and feathers. So, you know, just being able to do these things that I absolutely love for me, like, I don't, I just don't understand how people can go through their entire lives doing things they hate, like sitting at a job that they absolutely despise or they hate being around people they can't stand. And it's like, our lives are so short, man. I, so short. I've lost some really good buddies recently and it's, you know, at young ages and it just, you know, makes you realize you got to do things that, that you love, you know, and obviously you got to do things to a point to where, you know, you still have the life and, and you're putting money in the bank and you're, you know, being responsible. But at the same time, you got to find what makes you happy. Um, and you gotta, you gotta pursue it. You gotta make that a, a major part of what you're doing on the daily. And, uh, for me, fighting, training, being competitive, um, pushing myself to, to my limits and seeing, um, how I can 
I can improve myself and how much better I can become from that last fight or the last couple fights. And then also being able to, um, you know, be an, an avid outdoorsman, being the best bow hunter that I can be. Um, like I said, I just started waterfowl, um, call, like doing all the calls and stuff this year. This is the first time I want to learn that. You got to teach me all but that you're stuff. Ter- but you're not I, good at it, I right? know. But, but isn't, isn't it funny, though, how people will say they'll make excuses to not do something, huh? Yeah. I uh, can't I get it. Do it. I'm yeah. tired. Uh-huh. I'm out. I'm, dude, a monkey could learn to blow a duck call. If I could do it, anybody can do it, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that when I listen to you talk, and what, I'm going back to what Rogan did this week. Rogan on his podcast this week was talking about these guys that try to hamper you down. And oh, be, I saw that. Yeah. Did you see? They yeah. be, and, he, and he calls him a cancer. Yeah. And I started listening to him, and I wish I could talk like Rogan when he's dropping F-bomb after F-bomb, because that's the mentality I start mm-hmm. to get when I think about these guys that are always coming up with excuses always saying you're a prima donna you're a fake you inherited this you were given this um you you get to go to the best places in the world and hunt the best places you you get to train in the best gyms and oh really well if they understood what it took to get where chad mendez has got or where matt pendola has taken his gym whatever the case is don't be the guy that sits in your mom's basement and types on a keyboard Mm. with a fake name and makes fun of somebody just because you have a keyboard and the power of that fake name yeah get out and do it wake up earlier go to bed later be in you know what i'm saying mendez like figure it out what's it what is it going to take for you in your life to get out of your mom's basement (laughs) and go do something that you absolutely love to do they they can't they can't put their life in order enough to figure that out or they can and they choose not to because they're lazy and so ultimately it's like, all right, well then you're going to be stuck doing this, talking crap to people online for the rest of your life while everybody else is out having fun and, and enjoying things. So. And, I, and I love, and, and I want to ask Matt this too, because Matt's, Matt's a, you know, he's trains with the Olympic, at the Olympic village and, and coach Bobby McGee, and he's trained a lot of top notch athletes. Then I he comes questions for him, by the way. But. Good. Then he comes back to this <clears throat> little town of Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. And he's get he has haters locally. Really? Yeah, he's got haters because he doesn't train at uh, the twenty four hour fitness. Oh, and there's geez. nothing wrong with training at twenty four hour fitness. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. That's good for you. Yeah, go do it. Out, You're doing go do it. But this dude walks out of there and starts this empire that he's got now of the baddest ath- athletes in America. He's consistently training them. He's got Gabby, who Gabby Williams, who's the captain of the University of Connecticut's women's basketball team, who's quite arguably the best basketball player in college basketball for women. Um, is she, I don't know if she's going to the WNBA. Matt can touch on that in a minute, but I see it on your on with your life, Mendez. You you shoot an elk, and it's like oh, the comments, the waters uh, part, right? Yeah. What do you do? And these haters come out of the woodworks, yeah, because they think that everybody has to be cut from the same paper. Mm-hmm. And the cancer starts of if I'm going to lay on the couch and I'm going to watch reruns of whatever show that you were watching from that mama's family and you're going to lay there all day and that's good for you. Well, then it better be good for us. And it's not, yeah. that's not us. If you want to do that, that's fine. Cause I'm going to be damned. If I'm going to go and go, you're a piece of crap for just laying on the couch all day. But if you sit up and off of that couch and get on a keyboard and write into us and say, you're, you guys are this and you guys are that, then that's when, that's where you got to draw the line. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be that person and start to breed that cancer into something? Or do you want to be somebody that makes a change and gets something mm-hmm. betters yourself? And Matt always talks about bettering yourself and becoming a better version of you. And if you go through life and you're, let's just take it day by day or hour by hour. I think like that. I could lay in bed as long as I possibly want every day of my life, but I, re- I refuse to, yeah. I don't sleep in. 
I will not sleep in. I know that there's something to be done somewhere, whether it's bettering myself, my body, physically, mentally, my daughter, our businesses, whatever it is, there is something to be done. There is work to be done. My dad always said, you're put on this earth to work. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just want you to talk about that because you, as this celebrity, when I, I've been out in public with you, I was at the Hard Rock with Dan Henderson at Shot Show, and it was he was like a rock god. I mean, everybody. And I've been out in public with you in Louisville at NRA. People are grabbing you from every direction to get in pictures, sign this. You're a celebrity, but you still have so many haters. <laughs> and it's like, why? What is that mentality all about? I don't know, and it's still something that um, is still very difficult for me to understand. Um, but I mean, I think no matter what you do, and I've heard this my whole life, no matter what you do, you're going to have haters. And I've always kind of just, you know, took it with a grain of salt, but being in the spotlight now and really understanding what that means, it's, it's the truth. And it sucks because it's like, no matter what you do, you know, if, if you feel it's something that's positive or you've explained why it's a positive thing, you're always going to have someone that wants to be that cancer and bring you down or say something negative about it or, you know, try to get other people on board with making it a negative thing. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's basically just, you know, finding, like I said, finding what I love to do and, and doing that and making that my lifestyle. And if you guys don't like it, like you don't have to follow me. You don't have to follow (laughs) you. Don't don't, watch the fights. Don't, don't follow you. Yeah. The the best is whenever they leave a comment unfollowed, like, (laughs) peace i don't care well, like th- i you. blocked you thank and, and, you and what do you think they did after they typed that and hit the send button they, They're just, at, they, yeah. they sit there and went wow i got i'm gonna be at this keyboard for another 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. and then what am i gonna do like what's their mentality of doing I that i don't know it but... does not make any sense because in america it seems to me and, and and i talked about this line by taylor swift before but people throw rocks at things that shine mm-hmm. if you're just the average joe and you're out there working your butt off yeah, it's awesome. And it's, it's needed. It's warranted. We want it. But if you're not shining, if you don't step out of the norm and you're not trying to better yourself, that's when the rocks start coming. And that's such a good line because you, 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 on your way up that ladder, everybody's supporting you. Oh, Hey, go for it, buddy. Good job. And then all of a sudden Chad Mendez has got a belt around his waist and he's getting movie offers and he's got an awesome hunting business and sponsors coming out of the yin yang. And he's living this lifestyle that anybody would die to have in your shoes. And now everybody's like, Oh my God, I better say something that's derogatory because this guy's living it too much. Uh It it makes zero sense. And I want, let's stop right there for a second. We're doing a little Instagram live right now. We got questions coming in. Tom's got questions coming in for Chad. Tom, 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 hit us with one real quick. Hit us. All right, Chad. What's your most memorable fight? Um, probably the Aldo too. I mean, I, I, I didn't win the fight obviously, but it was something that is the complete terror in our division, undefeated, you know, uh, 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 champion in the in the division for years and years um had beaten my teammate uriah um and so going in there he'd actually beat me once before that as well um so just just preparing for that fight and and getting the mindset right and and creating that game plan and going out there and just going to war for five rounds with that guy is and is he just is he a badass in every sense of the word yeah um you know that i feel like that was you know kind of the the peak of his career maybe, maybe, you know, right around it. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, his power, speed, strength, everything. He was a soccer player, wasn't he? He was a soccer player. Yeah. So his kicks, but I mean, we knew that going into it. Um, you know, I fought him before we, I, I had felt his kicks. Um, 
you know? And so our game plan was actually to kick him before he kicked us and got, I, I was able to land quite a few heavy leg kicks um, and then just create angles and, and try not to get hit with that big left, which I didn't, I got hit with it, but um, you know, it was a war. We back and forth, you know, I'd drop him then he'd come back and end up dropping me. And um, you know, I got some takedowns on him and, uh, you know, it was just, it was crazy. It was a war for sure. I remember what, what Uriah looked like, his legs. Oh, after Because he was on that MMA show with Boz Rutten mm-hmm. uh, in Kenny, inside MMA. And he'd come in on crutches. so and bad. I, and, I mean, he was just black and blue. And I mean, I just showed you because Uriah is a, he's a Hall of Famer. He is a mm-hmm. badass, certified, you know. Mm-hmm. So, go, Tom, what's the next question? We're on uh, Instagram Live right now on this life ain't for everybody. Our guest today is the one and only Chad Mendez from the UFC Fins and Feathers Guide Service. We have mutual friends and partners in the industry, including Mountain Ops and Traeger, whose today's podcast is brought to you by. Also, my good friend and mentor, Matt Pandola from Pandola Fitness, is sitting in with us today. And uh, Mendez has got several questions for Matt. He's, I can see his wheels turning, mm-hmm. but we're, uh, we're going to stick with these Instagram questions for a second. What's, what's next, Tom? Well, they, uh, I think he's maybe going that uh, off of me on that. I know that Chad is uh, uh, getting into duck and goose hunting. We actually shared the blind with Rocky Merlo in Northern California this year a couple times on speckle belly geese as well as last year. Um, the preparation, you know, a lot of people, you know, think that you just wake up and go hunting, Chad, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of preseason, a lot of, prep. Prep. Oh, yeah. a lot yeah. of preseason prep that goes into it. And you know, we it's funny you ask this because we just talked about the physical part of it. I train a lot. And I'm not saying that I am in tremendous shape or, or physically look like somebody that is at Chad Mendez's or Matt Pendola's level, but I am, I can go and I can keep going. And I attribute that to Matt's workout program. So part of my off season regimen is physically working out and staying focused on cardio, weight training, TRX, jumping. I mean, you name it. We were doing these things called prison squat jumps the other day. And I literally could not sleep the day of because my legs hurt so bad. Sounds dangerous. I mean, it is. And (laughs) and it's like, oh, you do that two or three times. No, we're doing sets of 80 and he wants us getting up to 120. And I'm like, oh, but anyway, you know, preseason, I want to be physically in shape i want my mind in shape i want to practice my duck calling i want to make sure that i have my network going i'm always communicating with guys across the country hey what's going on what's the food sources look like what's the water situation up in canada i talk to biologists i'm always figuring out what's going on with the breeding and how's the hatch going to look i pay attention to delta waterfowl and ducks unlimited and i pay california waterfowl association i want to know what's going on biologically scientifically politically i want to know what kind of shape our ducks are and geese are in as well as all of our other populations of wild turkeys elk deer you name it i want i'm interested in that so as a preseason um, preparation for going into the season i'm living that life it's not that duck season ends and i put up my calls and my boat goes in the shop and i'm done right Mm -hmm. i'm living it every day when i wake up i'm thinking like a duck i'm thinking like a goose i'm trying to figure out how can we get banded better and stronger and i'm talking to people within the banded organization i'm talking with guys in benelli and federal and mountain ops and mojo and figuring out what, what our partners are doing i know Realtree's working on some new patterns i know benelli just launched the sbe3 federal's got new ammo they're getting ready to launch it's the life and that's what i love about it chad and you you talk a little bit on that with the way you get ready the the life of a hunter and Matt could attribute this to, to what we ate today. Today we ate off the Traeger. We ate whitetail. We ate crappie from Mississippi and Tennessee, whitetail from Kansas, and mallard duck from Arkansas. Brussels sprouts, asparagus, mushrooms, 
it was awesome. Good. It was oh, awesome, so wasn't good. it? Yeah. Because of hunting. Yep. So Matt doesn't necessarily hunt, but he loves what we do because our mindset, our focus, our passion, and then we get to eat what we harvest. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, you you live the life every day. Yeah. I mean, this is like what you just said is is what I want my my life to be completely consumed by. Like if I can get to the point after my fighting career to where I'm doing what you're what all that you just explained right now nonstop, I'll be in heaven. So. Being able to provide, fill my freezer full of all that different type of meat and then live off it, not have to go to the store and feel like I, for me to get my protein, I have to buy beef or I have to buy chicken or turkey or whatever it is. I can just go into my freezer in the garage, lift it up and say, hmm, what do I want tonight? We got whitetail, we got blacktail, we got mule deer, we got some elk, we got some salmon, we got, you know, and I can just pick and choose what do I want. Like, hey, Abby, what do you feel like tonight? And being able to, to just go in there and get any of that I type of stuff it. that I've put the the game plans together for um put put the work into of stalking and and hunting and and scouting these types of animals and going in and making a clean kill and then being able to process them i have a a meat locker in my garage that i've I've built so i can hang these animals i can you know do all the process work myself i don't always depending on time but um you know i can just have all that there for me that's it, being a provider. Yeah, I that's love it. That's being a man. Absolutely you know love what I'm it. Saying? That's being a provider. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. really is. Matt, that food today was unreal. Oh, it's awesome. You know, and I'm thinking about Les, right? He was on the podcast last time. He's 77 years old, Chad. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, it was good. The guy's awesome. We call him the Oak. And uh, the other day we we're in the gym and, you know, he uh, lifts his shirt up and, and the guy's 77. Shredded. You can see his abs. Yeah, really? <laughs> his abs. yeah. yeah that's, it's, awesome. you know, put, but, that's when I put my shirt down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I, but I'll I'll tell you what everything you're talking about here. That's the way Les lives. He talks exactly the same way you do. He eats like this. He doesn't buy any store bought meat, does he? No, none, zero. Yeah, that's awesome, right? Yeah, he hasn't in thirty years. Yeah, see, he, that's so cool. He's in the Hall of Fame for North American Big Game. He's yeah. killed every. You've heard it. Yeah, I heard the podcast. That man, that's awesome. I want to meet this guy. Well, he's he'll be yeah. here in a little bit. Cool. And when you meet him, you just got to put him in a sleeper hold and see what happens. <laughs> Tom, <laughs> Tom what, probably whoop my butt. Tom, what's the next question? <laughs> right, we got Sprig twenty two or twenty one. Duck Hunter. A few questions here. One for Matt Pendola. Uh, what hotshot crew were you on, and how do you stay prepared in the off season due to the fact that your body's getting hammered during the fighter season? Oh yeah. Well, okay. So hotshotting Flagstaff hotshots. Uh, loved it. It was a great experience. That was back uh, between 25 and 30 years old though. So good uh, 15 years ago or so now. But um, yeah. So off season back then, I would just do my best to get my conditioning up, get my strength up. I worked a lot on mass specific force work. So things like, you know, what, what my, uh, uh, max deadlift could be, what, what I could do in a, in a good solid, uh, bench press, what I could do in pull-ups and, and, uh, archetypes like that, like, uh, my obviously squats, things like that, but also for hot shotting, you have to have a lot of endurance. So we definitely did a fair amount of running jump rope, things like that. And I would make sure that I had a pretty good balance between the two. But the fact is, you know, during the season, you're just trying to survive, right? So uh, I, I used to just do what I I used to take uh, drip torches and do a little workout with drip torches and push-ups and, and uh, do some sprints and things like that during the season to keep myself going as much as I could. A um, little bit of yoga, things like that um, on the fire, whatever I could do there and just kind of trying to maintain and recover, respond, repair for the next uh, big day and next fire, that sort of thing. But uh, 
I'm not going to lie, at the end of every season, man, it, it took me a good few weeks of just trying to sleep and recover and just get over that season. It, it's, uh, it's, it's rough on the body. Um, loved doing it, but it really takes its toll on you, and, and you've got to really take care of yourself. And nutrition is a huge, huge part of it. I feel like a lot of uh, people don't really look at that enough. And I would say that uh, my nutrition suffered a little bit because when you're on fires, you're you're eating whatever they're giving you. And uh, and then some, I mean, we, we would just basically try to survive the season best we could, but make good choices. Like we talked last time on the podcast about when you stop at the 7-Eleven, you're going to go get the beef jerky or you're going to go get the Snickers, you know? So <laughs> beef jerky all the way. And, and, uh, so, you know, making good choices and, and really being honest with yourself about what those choices are, because you can easily, uh, stop by Denny's or McDonald's or whatever. And most of the crew did. And, and I'd run across the street if I could find a whole foods or something like that. And I, and I'd buy real whole food. Um, so, you know, nutrition, I think saved me. I, my mother was a dietitian and I learned a lot from her, and so I, I knew uh, to make better choices even back then. So important cool. and so easy to take for granted, and we'll get to the next question, but I just want to touch real quick is that it, I, I used to be the guy that would make fun of the guy that would run across the Whole Foods, <laughs> and, and now I wish I would have been that guy all along. Yeah. Because in when you start getting my age at 43 and you're like, I want to live until I'm less at least at 77 and still be climbing 10,000 feet to shoot a desert sheep like you did this year. Mm-hmm. You have to make the right choices. So next question, Tom. Great point right there, Matt Will said. Dylan Johnson, 12. Chad, what's the best thing to plant for the food plot on the side of my large pod for ducks? Man, I you could – it depends on where you live, guy, and you probably have to write back in and let us know. What was his name, Tom? Uh, Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson. Appreciate the question. I, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of different foods for ducks. I, I think Japanese millet is strong. Depending on what part of the country you live in, corn is obviously a favorite of duck hunters. You have to really – and take this to, to heart right now is pay attention to your state laws, legislature, regulations of what is legal, what is not legal when it comes to planting, hunting over that crop. A lot of baiting comes into that and you have to really pay attention that you're doing it right and staying on top of all the ethics and laws that go along with that. But as far as the food source, Japanese millet, peas, oats, corn, um, stuff that's high in carbohydrates that ducks are going to need to get up and down that flyway. I would have to say that probably my best hunts besides hunting over dry cornfields, because we all know when it happens, it happens big over dry corn. I love hunting over rice or Japanese millet. So hopefully that helps a little bit. In Oklahoma, I would, I would definitely go with either peanuts probably peanuts i mean you got to plant peanuts if you're in oklahoma and mallard <laughs> ducks love peanuts especially if you're hunting them dry um if it's a dry crop dylan i would go with peanuts in oklahoma for sure what's a peanut um the nut you the, mean a peanut yeah pe- did i say it wrong <laughs> are you trying to start a fight already dude <laughs> see this is the mentality they just come up and they got cauliflower ear when, he, when you see chad mendez's ears you know don't mess with that guy <laughs> You should. <laughs> These headphones make us look like we got headgear on. I'm about to whip oh, your butt. Yeah. <laughs> What's next, Tom? Um, let's see. Well, Chasing Feathers wants to know if Chad's coming out a wild game cookbook. <laughs> um, I have ADD really bad. I th- self prescribed, that is. And I don't really know any of the recipes I use. I, I cooked today, <laughs> I cooked crappie and mallard and whitetail for the guys. And I couldn't tell you anything that I put on it except that I started with olive oil. And 
I would like to come out with a cook, cook, cookbook. My good friend Christy Crabtree just did. It's awesome. Tom, do you know the name? It's uh, Wild Game Cookbook, isn't it? I think um, I, if you guys g- Google Nevada foodies, F O O D I E S. You follow. Yeah. That's a good friend of mine, Christy Crabtree. She lives right here in Reno. She's married to a, well, she's engaged to a really good friend of mine, Andy Perwin. And she is the Mac daddy when it comes to wild game cooking. She puts me to shame. Yeah, her um, stuff looks good. Oh God. Yeah. She's beautiful. She's unreal. But anyway, Nevada foodies, Christy, Christy Crabtree. And yeah, we have some plans. Tom keeps talking to me about it three days a week about publishing a cookbook. So if we do one. though, we'll, uh, we'll let everybody know. Yeah. I get that all the time too. I, I've thought about it and kind of, um, did a little bit of research on what it would take to start doing one. And it's definitely something I've thought about trying to do. Um, especially like right at the beginning of when I come back, um, for fighting. So it's, it's possible. Yeah. Now, if you had a cookbook, what would we name it? We got to come up we got it. This is, <laughs> it could I, <laughs> I could get creative with a cookbook with Chad Mendez for sure. By the end of this podcast, I'm going to have the name of Chad Mendez's forthcoming cookbook. Tom, what's it. next? All right. Here's one from, uh, spine a dog. <laughs> what's your favorite steak to hunt and why? I'll go with, go ahead, Mendez. Um, favorite state, man, it, Utah, Utah is definitely one of, one of the top states for me. For Um, mule deer. For a lot of stuff, elk, mule deer. Um, I mean, those two in particular are what stick out the most for me there, but, um, I've been hunting in, in Utah for both of those species for the last probably five or six years now. And, um, it's usually something that me and my pops try to get out and do once a year, um, and, uh, we've actually grown fins and feathers into doing, um, we have a really big mule deer hunt down in Southern Utah that we do every year and, uh, typically bring like, you know, eight or nine clients down there at a time. And it's unbelievable, man, the, the amount of deer down there and it's all, it's all private. It's all the CWMU. So they're landowner tags. Um, but just, I mean, you're basically shopping. There's just deer everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a lot of fun. I, I like Utah a lot. I love Utah. I, I haven't hunted waterfowl in Utah. I've been on some predator hunts in Utah, and I have my cousin Thomas. He's he guides you know a lot in the Henrys all mm-hmm. over St. George, Kanab. Um, you know we border in Nevada. We border Utah down by a lot of the good elk country in, mm-hmm. in Peoch, Nevada, Ely, Nevada. We're right on that Utah border, state borderline. So. Um, you know, going back to when my dad was alive and his brother-in-law, Uncle Bob Baker, who's Thomas's dad, the, the, the size of the mule deer and elk and antelope in Utah is tremendous. But we're not slacking here in Nevada no, either. I mean, no. we got it going on here. If I had to pick a favorite state, it's everybody asks me that a lot. And I do get to travel quite a bit and hunt a lot of different areas for waterfowl hunting and, and different platforms of hunting. And I, I love the Snake River in Idaho. I love the Willamette Valley of Washington or the, the Columbia Basin of Washington. I love the Yellowstone River in Montana. I love Alberta, Saskatchewan, North Dakota. You name it, every part of it, like even Kansas. You go to Kansas, it's known for its white tiller, its, its turkeys, but the duck hunting and goose hunting is amazing around Wichita and central really? Kansas. So I love it all. But if I had to pick one place, it would be in the neighborhood of Mallard Ducks in Stuttgart, Arkansas. Not because you go there and you're guaranteed a limit every day. Not because you go there and you're going to get to shoot your gun a thousand times because there's so many ducks. It's not what it's about. It's the way the mentality is, the passion, the lifestyle, the, the way the cafes and restaurants look during hunting season. <laughs> yeah. Even a SUV to a pickup truck to a station wagon is pulling a duck boat. 
little kids get out and they've got their blue jeans tucked into their mud boots and their lanyard around their neck, just getting out of church because they're ready to go practice their duck calling. It's just, it's a different mindset. And I love that part of it coming from the West United States and going down there the last 10 years, 12 years. Um, I don't even know if I'm accepted there being, (laughs) being an outsider, but man, just being there makes you feel like you're part of it. Yeah. Being in Max Prairie Wings in Stuttgart, the duck capital, the rice capital of the world, and all the flooded timber and, and seeing the amount of birds there, seeing the hunters and the happiness for those 60 days, mm-hmm. you know, from Thanksgiving to the middle of January, the happiness. When it ends, there's tears. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've, oh, I, I've been there and it, we cry. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, it's over. Some guys are like, man, I can't, I can't wait for it to get over. I can't wait for it to start again. As mm-hmm. soon as it ends, I'm like, when is when when are we going to Canada? So I would I would say Stuttgart, Arkansas for sure. Tom Tom, what's next? Well, we have someone here asking you to do some little duck calling. Is that possible? Oh, <laughs> if, if my brother would so great graciously go grab the duck calls off of uh, the sink. <laughs> I don't want to tell them where they're at. They're in my bedroom, Clay. Can you grab them real quick? Do you mind? Uh, I'll do that in a second. We'll come back uh, to that, Tom. Here's a question for Mendez. Uh, what are you doing to prepare for the your next fight? Training my butt off. <laughs> now we um, we're actually starting to do a little bit of different, uh, like kind of a different type of um, training camp. And that was a couple of the questions that I had for you too. But um, we're trying to really fine tune things a little more than usual. You know, I've, I've always, at least as a wrestler and, and even the beginning of my MMA career, there wasn't a ton of method to the madness. It was get in there and grind every single day. It's hard, hard, hard. And we're trying to beat the crap out of each other every day, sparring and, and wrestling and, and doing jujitsu and everything was just, if I wasn't about to puke at the end of the workout, it was a bad workout. And, uh, you know, I think just the older that I'm getting, the older I'm getting and, and the more I'm starting to um, realize the science behind a lot of training and how everything f- unfolds, there, there's just a lot more um, reasoning behind each workout. You know, it, it doesn't always have to be a balls to the wall, about to puke workout, um, you know, and it just got to work smarter, not so much harder all the time. And, um, you know, I think we're trying to, I don't want to obviously talk about all the stuff that we're doing because I want it to be a secret to my opponents, but um, there's just a lot of stuff that we're fine tuning. So um, he's doing a lot of rope climbs, um, a lot of ladder carries. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's just, I'm very excited for this training camp. I think there's a lot of new things that I'm implementing that um, are going to make a huge difference. I'm, I'm excited to see the progress and, and how much, um, improving i can make not only to my conditioning my cardio um to to my technique all around power and speed um, i'm just excited to see how it all unfolds by the end of my training camp so it's gonna be fun it's funny because we just talked about that in the gym this week matt's like you don't need to stay in here for three hours no you know maybe as a prize fighter you might need to do it multiple times a day cardio part of the day wrestling part of the day striking part of the day mm-hmm. but for me i go in there and i'm like Matt's like 60 minutes. Here's what we're going to do. He has a method to his madness. He has the reason behind it. He goes and he formulates this workout. And then you're like, this dude's on crack when he starts it. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you feel better than you've ever felt in your life. And that is the secret of a good trainer. And I know that's where you're going to go with your line of questioning to him. And I would verify or vouch for him any day of the week that even at your level, even the trainers that you and Uriah and with Joey Rodriguez and everybody that you train with, having somebody with his mental aptitude and and capacity in your gym or to ask him questions, I sit there and I'm just like, man, I'm 43 and I don't know shit. 
about <laughs> about nutrition it's crazy. or work. It's so a, much. Yeah. The, it's like you break down you break down a car, and you're a mechanic. And a mechanic can fix a car because he understands how that car was built, the science behind it, what the alternator does to the battery and the master cylinder and the solenoid and all that. And I'm like, what? Different kind of jargon, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the body's the same way. You can train the body to do pretty awesome specific things and make yourself like Matt's. And I was talking to Joey about this the other day. You think you got to pull muscle? Go roll out, go mash out for a little bit and it's gone. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go to the chiropractor. You don't need to go to a physical therapist. And I told Matt at a seminar he was doing, I'm like, you're going to lose business for physical therapists and stuff because (laughs) I don't go anymore because I've learned to get rid of pain, whether it's a headache or a backache or a neckache or whatever. I I can go and do what Matt teaches me. And that's pretty cool. It's if you have the method, like what you're talking about, Mendez, Mm -hmm. training is awesome. It is. Tom, I'm just. You want me to do this for a second, or do, should we skip it? Just one quick question here, yeah. uh, Mendez. When is uh, your next fight? We don't have a date locked up, but um, we're we're pushing for sometime this summer. I, I'm really hoping to get on either end of June or there's a the big Vegas card in July, beginning of July. So um, still going back and forth to the UFC, trying to figure out you know and get get that locked up. So I'll let everybody know as soon as I find out. Trust me. Who will, who, How will they find out? Is that What's your page handle? And all that? Um, you can either follow me on Instagram. It's just at Chad Mendez, and it's M-E-N-D-E-S, not a Z. Um, I had same thing with Twitter, and then I'll most likely do a little video of me talking about when it is, who it's going to be, and I'll put that up on my YouTube. So you guys can check all that as well. And we've already decided we're having a, uh, a Traeger mm-hmm. uh, party after party for yep. the Mendez fight, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait for it. I, That's going to be so fun. I, I, I went to a couple of Matt Hughes and Hendo's after fights, and I'm just like – Man, I want to be a fighter. Look at this. Like you go in there and you win. It's madness. And, and you get to come out and it's like on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I've never felt that that feeling. But I is the after party still feel as good when you lose? Um is it still no, not, not as good, no. But it's it's fun. I mean, like I said, this, this is all just a chap chapter of our life. Obviously, I always want to win every fight, but no matter what you're doing, whether it's hunting, whether it's it's fighting or you know, playing golf, whatever it is, you're going to lose some, you know, it's just part of it. But you know, if you, if you, if you don't have those losses, you don't have those tough times, it definitely doesn't make the the successful times feel as good. So, you know, it's part of it. I still have fun at the after parties. I love that. I love that. I mean, you can't be afraid to fail. Yeah. I mean, the failure is what makes the, and that's what people are like, you go out and hunt and you just kill them every day. And I'm like, "Uh on TV, it might look like that, but we don't. And it's those days that (laughs) Mm -hmm. you don't. You might sit there all day, and then at the very end of the day, one little green wing tail flies into your decoys and back sets and drops his feet. And you miss it. And you might, I probably do miss it, but it's that duck that makes me go, Yeah. I can't wait to get back here tomorrow. Yep. Tiger said it too. He could golf the worst round of his life. He hits one awesome chip shot on 18, mm-hmm. and, he, and that's what brings him back to the course the next day. And that's the mentality you have to have because you're not always going to win. Man. You're not always going to kill a limit. You're not always going to wake up feeling good. You're not always going to go to bed feeling good. You got to figure out how to make it good. Yep. Right. That's the mentality. And this is just a lifestyle that I love, man. It's being able to train, make my own hours. I get to be in shape for a living. I get to travel all over the world. I get to hang out and meet cool ass people. You know, this is like Chad and Matt. Yeah. (laughs) See, but this is, I mean, win or lose, this is a great life. I'm getting paid to, to go out there and compete. Like, what I mean, and and don't ever don't. And I know you don't, but you, you stay. What I love about Mendez is he stays humble. He stays rooted and grounded. And that's what he, he drove up here to Reno a hundred. It's going to be a 300 mile round trip. 
He did it to come and do this for us. He's not promoting his anything. He knows that if he needs help with fins and feathers or we need help with banner, whatever, he's going to help us. But he came up here today because I asked him to be part of this podcast and he jumped at it because he knew that it would help me and it meant a lot to me. And that, and that's what hunters do. That's what this community does. And I was sure. thinking that, and I'm, and we'll go on to the next question right now, but the coolest after, after fight party I've ever been to was my good buddy, Scotty Jorgensen from Boise. He's mm-hmm. a hunter and a shooter. Um, I miss fought, that he fought Uriah and Uriah beat him. He beat him in the third or fourth round and they had a co after party together cause yep. they were such good buddies. Yeah. And so we're at this after party and a couture came, Randy came to it and, uh, here, here's the guys that just fought and now they're sitting in a booth having a beer together. And I was I like, I was at that. I, I bet you were yeah, at that. I'm pretty sure I was, but that was that, that co yeah. that, that yep. after fight that Uriah and Scotty did yeah. together. Our managers are, they managed both of them at the same time. So it was kind of a weird fight to have, but both of them were like, eh, it's business. Like we're still buddies. So they yeah. were just both cool going out there and doing yeah, it. But, I was, I was yeah. at a, I sat octagon side for that with Jorgensen's family right. with, uh, Johnny Jones, Bones Jones, when he was first coming into the UFC and Dana was sitting right there and Dana was cool as heck that night. He was welcoming yeah. to us and nice. he was happy. It was one, it was a tough finale is what it was. Gotcha. It was like one yeah. of the tough finales, but what's, what's, what was next? Um, any crossover mental challenges between fighting? What do you take from fighting and the hunting? Yeah, I actually get asked this question quite a bit too. Um, you know, there's a few things. I think as far as the fighting goes, being able to mentally prepare yourself and physically prepare yourself, knowing you're about to go in there and anything could happen. I mean, I could go out there and either knock this guy out with one punch or get knocked out with one punch, or it's going to be one of the most uncomfortable, most painful things that I'm going to have to go through and endure for 15 to 25 minutes. You, you just got to know that. So you being able to figure that out and accept it and know that and get in there and do it. You know, I think the mindset, being able to do that, not only with fighting and then also transfer that over to a hunt. So say I have like a, a sheep hunt or elk hunt or somewhere it's going to be crazy altitude or something. You know, it's going to be tough hiking. You know, it's going to be a long, you know, five days, seven days, however long you're going to be there. You're not living off much food. Your cal- you know, your calorie intake is pretty low. You're burning a lot of calories. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable. Sometimes it gets hot. You're soaked. You know, there's, there's parts, parts of it that are going to be uncomfortable. You kill an elk maybe at the bottom of a, a deep, deep ravine or canyon. You got to hike all that meat out. You know, sometimes that's three or four trips. Sometimes you're, you're you know, going 10 miles each, each way. I mean, that's a long, long bout of uh, um, energy expenditure. I think being able to take that mindset of knowing, all right, I'm, I'm willing to get in there and do what it takes to be successful in the octagon and whatever it's going to take for me to be successful in the field. If, if it takes me a hundred miles of hiking to be able to get that elk, I'm going to do it. Like, and I think that, That's awesome. that transfer over is, is one of the, probably the main things that will just make you both a champion in the octagon and in, and in the field. In my opinion. And in life. In life. And yep. that's in, in bringing Matt back into this is that everybody thinks that duck hunting, you just go out and sit. Well, it's not true. And, and I'm not trying to sit here and say it's as excruciating or physical yeah, yeah. as climbing a mountain, hunting elk, but there's a lot of to be said about being in shape. If we get into a flock and we kill seven or eight geese and we know that the next flock's coming, I got to jump out of my ground yeah. blind, getting out of my ground blind could hurt somebody, mm-hmm. right? If you, I mean, some guys crawl out real slow, then you got to sprint out, pick up all these geese that weigh anywhere from eight to 15 pounds a piece. And I'm carrying back three in my arms at the next time. I got to put them down, get back in, reload my gun, get the dog back in his blind, cover my lid, and now try to get my heart rate down. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier 
because of that crossover lifestyle. Yeah. I learned how to breathe. I pictured myself, and, and this is the biggest thing that I do in life, and I learned this from Ted Williams in the, in the science of hitting in baseball, is visualization. I visualize the hunt the night before. I visualize the flock mm -hmm. before they get there. I visualize what I'm going to do if that flock presents the shot. Whatever it is in life, I visualize what's the outcome of it. And I try to get there through through setting short-term goals and long-term goals and then and then seeing that come to life. And without training, I don't think that I would have that right now. And it's not just what Matt does. It's training through my entire career. But now that I'm 43 and I don't have a coach anymore, I don't have a baseball scholarship anymore, I'm not in a competitive league anymore, I go to Matt and I still get to keep that edge. Mm -hmm. And that's the crossover to me. For so, sure. And I love, I love how you talk about it is that in life – that's how you should attack life on a daily basis. I don't care what you say. There's nobody in this world that is going to sit down or stand up and tell me that I'm 300 pounds or I'm 60 pounds overweight and I feel good about it. You can't do it because when you tie your shoes, it sucks. <laughs> you can't tell me that it doesn't suck. Try to wipe your butt, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. You can't do it. <laughs> you can't tell me that being overweight is happiness. So, and that's just part of working out is that you can, and I'm not saying that I'm a physical specimen. I'm not saying that, but I feel great. And, I, and Matt will tell you, mm -hmm. my body style is different than his. I don't know the name, endomorphic, all that stuff. <laughs> it goes into it, but I feel great because of training. So I think your cell phone's going off, Mendez, or something. Um, here we got a question from Oster Lie, Chad, the Chads. Have you guys ever hunted uh, the California Delta? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, together. Yeah. yeah. We've uh, we've hunted the Butte Sink together. Um, we're, we have plans of doing a turkey hunt in the Delta this yep. year. I've hunted all over the Delta. Chad lives in the Delta. Um, as far as what I what my answer to that is that there's certain states in this country, and I've named a few before, but California is amazing for hunting. Whether it's blacktail, mule deer, yep. antelope, predators, turkey. The fishing is amazing. People don't the, realize the it. waterfowl hunting mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. Um, the pig hunting, the there, there's so much wildlife in the state of California. And yeah, it's got its flaws as a state, and mm -hmm. when it starts coming to guns and hunters' rights and stuff, but that's where we work with the California Waterfowl Association to combat that. But as far as hunting together down there, with that fight, you know, that day that we that we wrestled in the in the snow goose suits and you <laughs> yeah. put my face in the mud, which yeah. sucked. Yeah. But that hunt was amazing. That was so cool. I, I mean, we're killing seven. You can kill ten speckle belly geese a day yeah. per man there. Mm -hmm. You can you can only kill two a day in Arkansas, and there's just as many specks in Arkansas as there is in California. So that's a pretty liberal limit. Yeah, I love California. Same, same with turkey. So people are always like, like there's states oh, where it's, it's a draw. We get to kill what five turkeys in a year. Yeah. Three, three bearded in the spring and two in the, either sex in the fall. They told me that the other day. They're like, I killed one. And they're like, you know, you can kill two more. Yeah. And there's no turkey tag. Yeah, it costs no $9 to get your, your, your upland game stamp on top of your hunting license. Yeah. That's crazy. pretty badass. Yeah. No, that, I mean, people, I, I meet people from out of state all the time. And they're, you know, where are you, where are you from? They know I hunt and stuff. And I'm like, California. And they're like, where do you hunt? On the beaches. I'm like, not all California <laughs> is a beach. Like, yeah. they don't understand. Just the coast. I yeah. Mean, I mean, they just think it's all palm trees and everybody's smoking weed and we're all hanging out on the beach, you know. But, um, no, I mean, California actually has some really good hunting. I, I think, you know, a lot of the, like, deer population and stuff like that, there, there can be better management of it in certain areas and more emphasis on trying to grow the population. But, I mean, there are pockets of, of amazing blacktail here and there. I mean, if you can find them, locate them, a lot of them are private, but there's a lot on public as well, so... Uh, I think that's California's a, good. That's a lot tougher hunt than people think it would it be. It is, yeah. That, those blacktail, that, that's a tough, tough hunt. Tough hunt. Yeah. And what's next, Tom? 
This well, this, this comes from uh, Ruthless1212. Oh, this is a fight question. Uh, huh? Well, actually, this is... <laughs> no, it's not. What it's do not. you guys... Uh, what do you look for when buy, uh, when choosing to buy a new goose or even duck call? Jack can answer that one. <laughs> yeah, when you're going to purchase a duck call, there's a lot of manufacturers out there. There's a lot... I think customer service is a huge part of it. Um, a lot of duck calls are going to have the same kind of design. You know, Echo has mastered the tone board. Rich and Tone has mastered different parts of, of the of the construction of a duck call. There's a lot of great duck calls and goose calls out there. Tim Grounds is my absolute favorite short read goose call from Johnson City, Illinois. Um, I think customer service is a big part of it. Once you find that call that feels good um, in your hands and you can get some good sounds out of it, it's all about, you know, how that company treats you. If you need some advice, if you need it retuned, if you need, if you need, you know, just the, the some kind of practice regimen to go with it. And Tim was always awesome. I blew his phone up nonstop being so persistent with him. And Tim grounds himself personally would answer the phone and give me duck calling and goose calling tips. Fred Zink was the same way. There's a lot, there's so many good people in this industry that, that I, I would go after the customer service part of it. Um, I have my favorites out there. We don't need to talk about them, but find one that you can get the sounds out of, a little quack, little, you know, just little greeter calls. And then you go into like a separator or kind of a, 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 a what people call a feed chuckle. And you mix that with some lonesome hens and some quacks within that. And then you start mixing that with some of your, your greeter calls. So it sounds like an entire flock of ducks on the water is working those ducks in the air. start putting that all together and you 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 start seeing that and, and picturing it in your head reading the but the the duck's body language reading their their using your instincts and seeing if they're posturing different if they're setting their wings if they're flapping their wings slower you'll as the more you go and the more you do it the better you'll get just like anything in life but once you find that call, the most important part is listening to live birds, putting yourself in a situation of that live hunt and really getting your instincts honed in and learning how to read that body language of the animal that you're trying to pursue. And I sound okay on a duck call, in my opinion. I might be average, a little bit above average at best. There's guys that just blow me out of the water that I'm very envious of, but I can kill ducks because I've learned to read ducks and know what to say when, when to be quiet, that sort. I'm not the best there is, but I have so much more fun communicating and calling it ducks and, and learning the vocabulary of wild game. I would much rather bugle in or cow call in a 350-inch bull and shoot him with an arrow in, at nine yards like my brother Clint did than to kill one at 400 yards with a rifle. And that's mm -hmm. not taking anything away from a rifle hunter because I've done that too and I love that. Mm -hmm. But I, I just love communicating with animals and picking out a duck call, a goose call, a turkey call, get something that's comfortable, look for some good customer service and then practice, 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 learn the body, you know, le learn to read that body language and uh, just go hunting, try dude, to hunt every day. Dude, you need to teach me that. That was freaking awesome. <laughs> what, that little, little, yeah. little, uh, little, little <laughs> jump that. start. And, and I, I love calling. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry about well, that. Dylan Johnson, he had something specific he wanted. To, he was working on the Cajun squeal. Oh, the Cajun squeal. So now I, he's having uh, some trouble with where to place that. Speaking of Cajun, I got my gator cup right here. Those are some Cajun boys. Um, so he's looking for advice on improving 
I'm going to mix in a Cajun squeal real quick and we'll go on to the next question, Dylan. We truly appreciate your support and your questions, but a Cajun squeal is what I would define as dropping my jaw. And what you do is if you could see, if you can see my hands, if you're watching this live is that your your the shape of your, the roof of your mouth is like this and you want to shape your tongue in the same con context as that, right? So that's what it looks like. The tip of your tongue is anchored behind your bottom teeth where your gums meet your bottom teeth on the backside of your bottom teeth row. Okay. So your jaw is like that. And that's the air cavity inside there. The air comes up your throat right here and it comes up into your mouth, over your tongue and down your tongue. You never puff your cheeks, right? As a game caller, because that causes the air to go around the tongue. You want all the air up, down, over the tongue and through your pierced lips into the call. When you do the Cajun squeal, you drop your jaw, making that air chamber a little bit more hollow and bigger and you get more of a, a high pitched squeal sound out of it. I'll try it right now. It's, it's, it's something like uh you can hear my greeters right there so you can hear that duck that's got a piece of rice in louisiana stuck in his throat and she's squealing it's not a he i apologize it's a hen mallard squealing instead of it's So that's my definition of a Cajun quill. So cool. Somebody might be able to tell you something different, but appreciate the question, Dylan. You said badass. Thanks, man. <laughs> badass. Dude, thanks, man. That was badass. Appreciate you, uh, Dylan. There is a, a question about uh, how do you like shooting the new SB3? I'm a lefty, and they haven't. Uh, I got to uh, hold one at SHOT Show. They are going to release them about May 15th to May 20th. I've shot the right-handed one from the left side, which, you know, it, I don't advise that, but... The gun is unreal. It's six ounces lighter than the SB2, the new shim system in it, the everything from the action, the releases, the the, the sights on it, the I, I the, the the most the baddest ass part of the gun, I get so excited talking about it, is the new forearm. It just feels sleek. It's like you're holding a baseball bat or a golf club in your hand, it just mm -hmm. feels athletic and real sleek, like you're gonna hit everything that you aim at. So the SBE3 by Benelli is I, I, I said, how are you going to better the two? And they did it. And now I'm like, there's no way you're going to better this three. So I hope you never try. But yeah, yeah just being six or 6.4 ounces lighter than the two and having less recoil than the two. I don't know how you do that. But Canelli does it because the engineers in Italy and George Thompson and the guys that, that, that are in that product development stage at Benelli are, are geniuses. So yeah, the SB3, go get one. Whatever your local dealer is, support Benelli. They support us. We love them. Tom, is there another one? Chris Coney got on here probably late, but he says... That's Dead Dog Walkins Clay Belding with the next question. Well, here he is. There's a guy on here that wants to know when we're doing Dead Dog Walking again. But um, <laughs> he says, <laughs> with a laughing face, um, will you be fighting Conor McGregor? Me? Yeah. No, I don't think that guy's going to be fighting anyone. <laughs> here, I'll, let me but, answer that. I don't think he would want to fight you again, and I think no. he's awesome. But you would smoke. I think you would destroy him. Maybe I'm wrong. I, no, I mean, I agree. And I, it, obviously, I'm not being biased because it's myself. But I, I really, truly believe it is a bad matchup for him. You know, I think given the circumstances from the first fight, I think he understands, you know, that was me coming off the couch out, not training for a fight, taking a fight on very short notice. And, you know, I was whooping him up. Bad. Me, me being in shape, the fight would look like that in that the entire time. Um, you know, but I just think, Hey, I don't have the name 
for the big draw, which is the big payday. He already got past me, and he's never coming back to featherweight. So, <laughs> no, never. no, it's probably never going to happen. No. So look, on that same account, who do you want it to be? I know that there's guys on your team that are in your weight division. Yeah. But out of the top 10 guys or the top eight guys in your weight division. <clears throat> Man, I would love to run it back with Frankie. Um, Edgar, he's a stud. He yeah. just got beat, though, didn't he? He did. He did. But, you know, the fight with him, that's, that's a guy that I, I know in my mind I can beat. I, I think I am better than Frankie. Um, and not to sound cocky or anything, I like Frankie. He is a great guy, stand-up guy, always very respectful, just in my own opinion. I know I can beat that guy and just got caught. You know, there were some things that I did different in that training camp um, that I will never do again, and I think that had a little bit of um, play with that. But, um, you know, it was a different style of cutting weight, and it's something that, yeah, I never do the Epsom salt baths. I've always, you know, just put plastics on or worked out until the weight was done um and then um took like um there was a, a nutrition guy that we had hired he was doing a lot of stuff with different ufc fighters but had me using like natural diuretics and stuff like oh, that I, I got the guy for your next fight yeah I just we were think sitting it, next to him i just think it uh dehydrated my head too much you know just getting i've been hit by punches a hundred times harder, harder than that and you know, not what about the phase. guy that just beat him? Who's this kid that just beat the? Is his name Sugar? Brian Ortega. Or is it okay? Oh, sorry, Ortega? So Sugar's yeah. a different kid. Yeah, Ortega. Uh, Sh- I think you're thinking of that 35 pounder, uh, Om- the, Sugar O'Malley, or yeah, with the big mob. He's yeah, yeah. He's, he's a 35 pounder. He's the weight below, but um, yeah, Brian Ortega. He's he's good, man. He's he's a young up and comer, really good at jets. Um, he's very big for the weight class. Um, he's long, and he's he's one of those types of guys that can really keep his composure. Um, you can tell he's very calm in there. So. Um, those guys are always dangerous, but yeah, he, he, uh, he hammered, he hammered Frankie with a big uppercut. I mean, he hit him with an elbow first and just had him rocked bad. You can tell Frankie was just kind of like walking him down. almost looked like he was out on his feet and he just was like, okay, bam, just took his head off. But uh, along the same type of questioning, and and I know we're still on Instagram live and we'll get to some questions here in a second. We were just going to run the IG live for 30 minutes, but it's, it's popular. So people are coming like crazy, probably because we got Chad Mendez here. They probably wouldn't be doing this with just a bunch of goose hunters. I'm going to name three names. And in one sentence only, you have to describe to me what they mean to you and what they mean to your fighting career. I hate these. I know, but you just have to just, and I want it. (laughs) I don't want you to just, you know, like drag on like I do. Okay. I want you to be precise. Number one, Joe Rogan. Um, a pioneer of the sport. And someone that's very respected. Roy, Hoist Gracie. Oh, man. I, I can give the exact same answer for that one. Um, definitely a pioneer for the sport. Someone that's created what the UFC is today. Dan Severn. <laughs> these are all, seriously, all these guys could have the exact same answer. But um, uh, definitely a guy that I looked up to as a beginning fighter. Someone that I always enjoyed watching. Okay, I'm going to name a fighter now, and I want you to just say the first word that comes to your mind. Matt Sarah. Um, underdog. Rich Franklin. School teacher. Brock Lesnar. Monster. Ronda Rousey. Um, women's pioneer. GSP. Wrestler. Matt Hughes. Wrestler. Chuck Liddell. Um, big overhand right. Dan Henderson, another big overhand right. Floyd Mayweather Jr. Fast. Last one, Mike Tyson. Power. 
power. Now, just to, just elaborate a little bit on Mike Tyson oh, and what man, truly of Tyson. a badass he was. Because of, of being a fight fan, 19-0, 19 years old, unified, undisputed, heavyweight champion in the world, probably will never be done again. Mm-hmm. And boxing isn't even what it was back then. We get that. But what does Mike Tyson mean to you? And just t- talk to him a little bit. Yeah, growing up, I mean, boxing was never anything that I, like, spent a ton of time, um, like, researching and, and being a huge fan of. But the Mike Tyson era was something that always caught my attention. Watching Mike Tyson, I mean, I was young. I mean, but watching that guy in there, it was someone that would scare the crap out of me. You know, whether watching his his pre-fight interviews, him going off on, on media, saying crazy stuff. You just never knew what that guy was going to do. Um, even after fights sometimes, like going after the guards and stuff and just being completely out, you know, outraged. But watching that guy get in there, there was nobody, nobody that moved like him, that hit as hard as he did, and just, you know, had the tenacity. God, I, I'm literally getting goosebumps yeah. thinking about yeah. what you're saying. Man. Dude, he was still to this day is my favorite boxer to watch. Well, against Spinks and against Holmes yeah. and against Bone Crusher. Sp- the way that guy could move. Just when he come out in that yeah. towel like Marciano and those black mm-hmm. boots. Unbelievable. Everybody thought they could beat him. And it's like, but by the time he was 19 and 0, like there's people getting in the ring going, I know how this is going to yeah, end. Oh, up. yeah. No, I, I think there was a point when people were like, I know I'm not beating this guy. I'm just going to try not to get knocked out. And I mean, Matt, you were a cross country <laughs> runner and a sprinter and, a, and a, a different kind of athlete growing up, but you had to have gotten attached to the Mike Tyson era too as a fight fan. Yeah. I've always been a boxing fan, you know, it's so. Rocky was my favorite movie, still is. So, yeah, yeah, no, I follow boxing. I was more of a Sugar Ray Leonard kind of guy, and uh, I really admired him. I think because I looked more like him, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But, but no, no, Tyson was a a monster. And, and, you know, to that, also, when he stepped in the ring, people just, you said it perfectly, didn't want to get knocked out. And uh, I just think so much comes down to mindset when you're talking about uh, once you have that kind of um, personality where people fear you. Uh, that's in any sport. If you can, if you can develop that kind of domination, Mm -hmm. you can continue that. Right. But like Ronda Rousey for a long time, right. She was just going in there dominating and people feared it. Right. And it worked for a long time. Oh yeah. Along the same lines, Mendez in their prime Tyson versus Alley, Madison square gardens on a Friday night, 40 million pay-per-view. The fight purse is the exact same. They're both getting, Back in those days, let's say twelve million a piece a night, maybe twenty, which was nothing compared oh, to yeah. today. But who wins that fight? I'm gonna say Tyson. All really? day. I, I, I love know. you. I love uh, you. I, I would say it too. Yeah. But people I, are like, no way. Ali's the best of all time. Uh, the, the reason why I say that is, I mean, yeah, Ali, the movement, the the finesse, the speed, the length that he had. But Tyson lands one punch and you go to sleep. And it doesn't have to be on the chin. That's the crazy part. There was guys that were getting grazed on top of the head and just falling down, you know. Body shots, just like breaking ribs. And, I mean, yeah, I I still – I would go with Tyson. What is it like being in the UFC and having him walk into the gym? Because he spends a lot of time with you guys. And I see your your teammate Cody No Love. Mm -hmm. I love love Cody's – his wardrobe these days of these old boxers he's wearing. Yeah. I love those uh, shirts he's wearing. That's cool. He wears the Tyson fight shirts a lot. And I have some Tyson shirts and you can see on my wall here, I got an entire area that's dedicated to Mike Tyson. I'm a huge Tyson fan. I've never got to meet him. I would love to meet him, but 
what is, what is he like? Is he a good dude? He's a cool guy. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I ever like actually met him in person. We were in Vegas and it was like me, Faber and maybe Joe Benavides or something back in the beginning of my career. And we had, I think had to go do an appearance or something. Then we went and ate and it was, it was getting late at that point. And, um, we might even have gone out or something, but I think it was like two or three in the morning and we're walking back, just going to go back to our rooms to pass out. And we, I look over and, uh, I think it was lucky seven and I forget what hotel that is, but it's a, re- a little restaurant that's open, like a, you know, open late. And he's in there by himself just eating. So Faber's like, oh, let's go say hi. So we walk in there and, you know, he recognizes Faber. Obviously, I wasn't even, I don't even think I was in the UFC. Maybe I was in the WC still. And, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, come in, come in. And he's, you know, sit down. So we end up having, uh, I don't even know, breakfast or late night dinner, whatever that would be at 2 do it, do morning, it his, but... Do it the conversation with his voice. <laughs> hey, guys, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> He had a That's big, he had a big joint rolled up in his ear. Just no. like, oh yeah, just sitting there. Didn't smoke it or anything. Just sitting there in his ear. And uh, we had had a, a meal with him and and hung out and then you know went on our ways. But it was cool. That was the first time I got to meet him. But uh, super nice guy. He's always been very respectful. Anytime he sees any of any of the fighters, I've never seen him be a dick or anything to anybody. So. I, I, the one thing I do and we'll end at Tyson is that. I just cannot stand the 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 road his career went with the management, the yeah. money, the just just such a shame and so yeah. sad. And it just I don't know the facts, I don't know the whole story or the details. And I'm not trying to be a forensic investigator mm-hmm. here. I'm just saying that man, to be worth three hundred million dollars, undisputed heavyweight champion in the world, he did lose to Buster Douglas on a that that's the most mm-hmm. bogus thing of all time in Japan. I think it was in Tokyo what happened, but. I cried that night. I was at Cecil Did Washington's you? house when he got beat, our Uncle Cecil. And when he, when he got beat, I cried. And that's what Mike Tyson meant to this little white kid from Reno, Nevada, <laughs> back in 89 or whenever that was. I think it's like 14 years old or whatever. And when he lost, I was like, man, what a shame. And then his career just never, you know, the rape and everything else yeah, came out. And yeah. it's such all BS. And I hated, I just hated seeing it. On yeah. a personal note, I'm just saying that I hated to see where my, because I had so much love for that guy and, yeah. and respect. But, you know, it is what it is. But, Tom, are there more questions or are we done with the Instagram live? Well, I mean, we, we do have a few more, but maybe uh, we can address them in the podcast and tell them uh, watch it on, on uh, iTunes. What? Just give them one more. Well, here's a few. Okay, so. Chad's, yep. Matt, where is your favorite place to hunt? Geese and ducks in different locations or, or what? My favorite place to hunt ducks is Stuttgart, Arkansas in the flooded timber. My favorite place to hunt geese is the Front Range of Colorado. Mendez, yours? Um, I mean, really, the only place I have waterfowl hunting is Northern California. So That's a great place. Yeah. I love hunting specks and snows the in buttes, California. Yeah. Buttes. Matt doesn't hunt, but Matt, you would say that you would just let it tell us to keep on hunting and cooking, right? Yeah, I just uh, look forward to going out with you guys one day. Yeah. We got to bring we, Matt. I know out. that would be cool. We got to get him shooting the bow before he leaves. Yeah, there. I can be your Sherpa at least. You know, <laughs> cut me, Mick. Go ahead. Uh, talk. Okay, Matt, this one's for you. Um, this is from Sprig Twenty One. What's the best and healthiest way to drop weight before the fire season starts here in Southern California? Before the fire season starts, yeah. Uh, well, I don't really believe in quote unquote, cutting weight, at least not in the traditional methods. So, you know, it comes down to, again, making good choices. You want to make sure that you're really um, following the proper nutrition patterns that are going to work for your body. So uh, a lot of times I think it comes down to if people look at their macronutrients, they think, okay, this high protein diet works really well. I'm going to do that so I can uh, drop 
water weight or whatnot by eating less carbohydrates. And then after a few weeks, you're just starving for those carbohydrates and you gain the weight right back. And, you know, another scenario where somebody decides that really, really high fats are great and, and they're, they're doing that only. The thing I try to follow a little bit more is just uh, getting in all your macronutrients, doing it consistently, but finding out what tweaks work for you a little bit better so that you can feel really good. You feel high energy levels and you can get out there and train and do your conditioning so, you know, athletes, you know, they don't uh, diet, right? They don't diet and exercise, they eat and train. So I, I think that if you can keep a good level of homeostasis, right, where your body is in good balance, then you can really get after it and you can stay consistent with it. Your recovery is better. And ultimately you're, you're doing the work that your body is meant to do because you're giving it the right nutrition. So I, I'd go back to just making good, smart choices, but never dieting, uh, always getting in all your macronutrients and, um, just take good journal, good notes of what works for you. Not, not the same thing works well for Chad that works well for me and vice versa. Right. So I'm always looking at, uh, people finding what works for them so that they can keep doing the work. I like, yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, it's easy to say I'm going to go on a diet, but they don't work. I don't care who you might lose some weight, but once you go back to being a man or a woman or eating some carbs here and there, or going out and partying once in a while, you or right you, you gain it right back. Mm -hmm. So what Matt says is you don't diet and exercise, you eat and you train and you make it a lifestyle. You make better mm -hmm. decisions. And a guy like me, that's not going to compete in an Ironman at 45, like Matt does. And he's won several of them. I might not be as dedicated or as disciplined as him. I wish I could be, but I, I'm not going to like make excuses for it or not. I have a different kind of lifestyle, so I'm going to do what works for me and to feel better, to stay healthier, to live longer, to be stronger, to be in shape or cardio wise and be able to get through my day with a lot more comfort and love for it. So mm -hmm. not everything is about the diet or it's about making those better decisions. And that's what I'm learning every day is do I want to go and just crush sushi every day and eat all that <laughs> rice and all that sugar and all those carbs? Well, of course. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but I do, yeah. but I'm not, I can't, yeah. I can't do it. I would love to, but yeah. you just got to make better decisions. And uh, so I think the Instagram live ended. Um, we're going to finish the podcast here at this life ain't for everybody. And obviously when you're talking about a prize fighter and MMA specialist like Mendez, that life truly isn't for everybody, but you know, we're, we had a lot of cool questions come in. We could have kept going. And that's what's neat about this lifestyle is that just now, the three of us sitting here live completely different lives. You're a fighter. I have some different businesses. You are a trainer. But everybody had these questions that related to all three of us. Mm -hmm. Nutrition, training, hunting, fighting, preparation, lifestyle, passion. All of that stuff is wrapped up in this ideology that I'm always thinking about is that we are all different people, but when you start breaking it down and all these different walks of life get together and you take the time to learn about somebody, that's why I love about hunting is that Friday at five o'clock when you get to hunting camp, you're a celebrity, but when you get there, you're not a celebrity. You're just a dude. You're just ready to go hunting and hang out by the fire and hang out. And I see that in you. And I've been around big time celebrities like yourself at camp before when they get there. They just want to, they want to learn. They want to enjoy the hunt. They want to see the dog. They want to see mother nature, the sunrise, the sunset, all that stuff. They love that. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's neat about living life with passion is that when you get around other people with passion, like Rogan's talking about those people being cancerous and yeah. that being contagious, it's quite opposite when you're passionate too. I mean, you are just as contagious and you yeah. can rub off onto somebody the right way. And Matt might go, man, 
I don't hunt and I'm not going to go hunting, but just listening to Belding and Mendez talk about and seeing their love and passion for it, he respects it. And that's what I think about when I, when I listen to somebody talk about their lifestyle, I don't snow ski, but when I listen to Tom or his wife, Christy talk about shredding and going up and, and, and getting on these big mountains, I'm like, that's awesome. That you, obviously they rock at it because they have passion for it. They are both Olympic caliber skiers and D one scholarship recipients. His wife's better than he is, but, <laughs> and he'll admit that, but that's what I love about our, the, the mentality of a hunter, the mentality of an athlete, the, it, it's, it's the right way to be. In my opinion, mm-hmm. people are probably going to just shoot me down for saying that, but there <laughs> is a right way to think. And I think that discipline mentality that you're talking about, that warrior mentality, you can live life like that. You don't have to punch somebody to be considered a warrior. No, not at all. You know what yeah. I mean? You have the desire. You figure out what, like I said, makes you happy. What, what in your life gives you a purpose? You know what I mean? And you find out ways to make that a success in your life. You know, if it's, if it's hunting, how do you become a better hunter? How do you figure out a way to make that a, a huge part of your life? If it's, if it's, you know, being a basketball player, same thing, a fighter, UFC fighter, same thing. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, a firefighter, whatever it is, you know, you find out what it's going to take to succeed. You know, you can't be lazy. You, you achieve the goals that it's going to take to get to the top or whatever it is that's going to create that success and do it. And, Bottom and, line. and never ever like look down at somebody because they're not doing no. it. And that's the, if you have that, that mentality we're talking about, whether you're banging nails with a hammer, I know construction workers that absolutely love doing what they're doing. And I look at their job and go, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. I could never wake up at six in the morning and go to Tahoe on a December day, Matt, when there's snow on the ground, like my dad <laughs> used to do as a plumber. He was a union plumber for local 350 plumbers and pipe fitters here in Nevada. And he would come home and his knuckles would be all busted up. His back, he had several back surgeries from carrying and working in those elements. And I'm like, man, I couldn't do that. But they do it with love and passion and love what they were doing. And every day goes by and they didn't bitch about it. Mm-hmm. They just rocked it. But when you start looking at it and go, man, I, I want to be doing that. And I'm envious of that. And I'm jealous of this. That's the wrong way to be. Yeah. If you want to do something else, make some changes, better yourself and go do it. Right. Otherwise, be the best at what you're doing, whether you're a doctor or a pilot or a janitor. I know high school janitors that I've been in duck camp with that you would go, this dude is a freaking millionaire. He is, he's rich in life. He might not make but $50,000 a year, but he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He loves life and his family and he provides for him and he loves being in the outdoors. That's what and it's all about. That's the mentality. That. Yeah. That's the mentality, right? I love that. You never look down at somebody <clears throat> because they're not as you think that they're on a lower level than you. I hate that mentality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that arrogance is what kills when you get into hunting and you think you're better than somebody because you kill 180 inch whitetail or kill eight limits of mallards in a row. I just look at you and just shake my head yeah. and go, man, you're missing the, mm-hmm. you're missing the meaning of this man. Mm-hmm. And it might, it might take you a little bit in your hunting career to figure that out. But the earlier you can do it, the better off you're going to be in any career you can do. If you figure out what your why is, Matt, and figure out why you're doing this, and if it's really what you want to be doing, you're going to have so much more pleasure in life and satisfaction every single day of your life. And that's what these, listen to the, these questions that are coming through. Guys are wanting to know what we're doing with our lives. That should mean something to us. They're paying attention to what we're doing for a reason. We don't need to take that for granted. We don't sit there and go, I'm not going to, what are you asking me yeah. that for? Why do you, mm-hmm. they care. So that has to mean something to for us, sure. right? We're, oh. we're, we're putting out a message and opening up our lives. We can't be like, oh dude, you know, get away from, we're way better. That's not us. Hunters aren't like that way. Matt's not like that way. We want to give back. And, and that's what I love about listening to your guys' answers today. It's like, man, 
That's how I want to live life. Every day I want to live with that courage, that passion, and that love and that sweetness and that tenderness and all that. And it takes, it might take you a while to find all of that. But your mission in life and your goal in life is to weave through all these issues and these speed bumps and road bumps and obstacles that present themselves, crush them, and find that love and that tenderness and that sweetness and that good meal and that smile and that, and that cocktail at a campfire with your buddies around duck camp mm-hmm. and all that. That's what, that's what I love about it. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And, and so tell me a little bit. I got a question right here for you is we're both, we both work with Traeger. What has it changed the way you eat, the way you cook the, the, I mean, isn't it amazing? Oh, what hands you can down, do? dude, that the Traeger has completely changed, not only just the way I cook, but I feel like my lifestyle, I've always been the type of guy that's loved to go out, hunt an animal, harvest it, and then live off of that. But now being able to do all the different things that I can smoke this meat, I can, you know, cook it like it's an oven. If I need to, I can grill it um you know bake bake yeah there's so many different things you can do with it and then it's also giving you the the not just like a charcoal or just like your standard uh barbecue taste it's like a wood smoked grill so for me it's like i like (laughs) i just killed that turkey like i kill that thing i walk up to it and i'm already thinking of different things that i can do on the trigger with it oh you're not measuring the beer and the spurs well (laughs) obviously i look at that but i'm just like excited like there's i'm gonna i'm gonna breast this thing i can wrap these breasts and bacon and you know, put all kinds of crazy stuff in it and make it like a, a smoked, I don't even know, you know, and I can, I can, that's um, where your, that's where your cookbook's going to come. Oh uh, yeah. No, we, I do. I think if we should maybe talk about team up and doing something on it, yeah. I think it'd be cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different things you can do on it. I can Chad, make jerky. I Chad, can make Chad squared cookbook, Chad squared, two Chad's, Chad's. Chad squared cookbook. Ooh, two Chad's It's like five guys. Two, burgers. two Chad's one cookbook. <laughs> two Chad's. Tom, is that a good Good title. <laughs> Two chats, one cookbook. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I just started thinking like maybe maybe that is a good idea. And like we you could you could uh you literally I've made duck pizzas on them. Yeah. I've made casseroles. We cooked asparagus and Brussels sprouts on them today. I've done desserts on them. Mm-hmm. I've I, literally, you can do anything on anything. them. They're, just, they're an awesome yeah. tool. And we've and been they're so easy. We, thing. Abby even uses it. And it's like, before, before the Traeger Abby, I mean, I, I couldn't be like on my way home from training, be like, Abby, will you start a grill for me? You know what I mean? Like she got to go out there and put charcoal yeah. and like make a fire. Like, she, or, you know, it's just not something that she knew how to Our do. Our buddy Jim Ray was here last week and he said the same thing. <laughs> he calls wife Julie and she yeah. has it warmed hey, up and right, yeah. ready to go. And now with the Timberline, you don't even have to, you can just have an app. Mm-hmm and do everything from that app and you're literally, it's it's a cool company. And we, we've been accused here at this life ain't for everybody of making like little infomercials for Traeger (laughs) and people are like, you guys just, they pay you to you. I'm like, no man, Traeger is the deal. And if you get one, you will. And and, and my, my last comments that I was making were leading into this is that when I'm in front of that Traeger, I want to be a better cook. I want to be a better barbecue. I want to be a better griller. I want to be better at, I want to be a better provider. So when you guys come over today and I'm throwing down and you open those lids, I didn't want to hear like, or I didn't want to like get the impression that you guys weren't impressed. I don't care if you like go out and go, that's, you're, I'm not going to, I'm not looking for you to say it's the best, but I'm looking for you to go, whoa, he's yeah. got Brussels sprouts on the top rack. He's got asparagus down here. He's got crappie over here, whitetail over here, mm-hmm. mallard duck over here, mushrooms going over here, onions going over. I mean, think about what you're doing. It makes me want to be better at it. Yeah. There's been companies that come out. I remember when Nike was really big with Jordan. I wanted to go be a good basketball player, <laughs> yeah. right? Because that's what Jordan did you. to me. Yeah. I put him on and I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to shoot a three-pointer. I never could. But 
Traeger does that for me. I want to go out and cook and be better. And when I bring the food into the people that I'm serving that night, like I have a dinner tonight to do, I want them to be like, this is awesome. Yeah. Where do I get one of those? It's not about Traeger paying us to say, I'm passionate about it. Yeah. I'm pat. I don't care if Traeger ever paid me. I'm going to cook on a Traeger because I love what they do. And they love the way they make me feel when I'm doing it. For sure. And and I I say that about any, any companies that I'm teamed up with and I work with, like I, I don't, for me personally, I mean, I know a lot of different athletes. It doesn't matter what the company is as long as they're paying you something. It's like, for me, like, I, I feel like, you know, it's not so much about the money. I, I reach out to companies that I absolutely love their products. Like, I'm passionate about Traeger. I love Traeger. I've, all my stuff that I do, I cook on Traeger. It's not like I have a separate girl off to the side where when the cameras aren't running, I'm like, yeah, tuck the Traeger away. I'm going to use this. You know, I love the Traeger. You know, same thing with Mountain Ops. I use all their products. Like that's something as a professional athlete, that's what I use. Like the pre-workouts before I work out, the stuff during all the BCAAs, the the whey protein immediately after, you know, and then the the meal replacements that I use throughout the day. Like that's all stuff that I use. And P, I, I mean, I can attest that the stuff works. I feel great when I'm taking it. Um, and it's it's not just about, you know, me being a sponsored athlete or anything like that. Like this is a product that I use and I, and I enjoy it. So no. And, that, and a lot of people could say, it's just another supplement me to company. And I sit there and I say quite the opposite. They're, they're outdoorsmen, they're family men, mm-hmm. they're innovative. They, they're, they're products that they keep coming out with like slumber that I got a yeah, mind that never quits. My mind's always racing. It literally kind of shuts me down without having to take a sleep aid or any kind of yeah. remedy like that. That slumber lets me put things behind me in at ease and lets me go to sleep in a good state of mind. Yep. It, their products work for me. And that's why I, I love mountain ops and they, and I'll be the first one to tell everybody on this podcast. Mountain ops does not pay me. Mm-hmm. I use their stuff cause I believe in their messaging and their marketing. I believe in their team. And I also believe in the people that they work with like you and Traeger. They're teamed up with Traeger. They're teamed up with Chad Mendez. It's a natural fit for me. They yeah. don't need to pay me to use it. And I, they're, they never will have to. I just believe in their product and it makes me feel better. And when Matt talks about creating that better version of yourself, I believe in Traeger and companies like Mountain Ops. And when I go hunting and I have a shotgun, I use a Benelli because it makes me want to be better. It makes me want to be, get to, get to that point of I'm never going to miss another shot. And mm-hmm. it's not that Benelli, that if I had another shotgun manufacturer out there that I couldn't have good re- results with, it's the messaging of what a Benelli makes me feel like. I feel like I'm at the top of my game when I'm holding a super black eagle in my hands. When I have black cloud, I feel like I'm at the top of my game, period. Yep. That's just, the, I, I'm the same way with partners. I want to endorse partners that are, that make me want to go that extra mile yep. in, in, in that lifestyle. And when I'm in, when I talk to the Italians that design Benelli, I've been in camp with them. And when I talk to them, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I kind of like that. I, there's a lot of places I could go train in Reno and lift weights. I choose to go to Matt because he's qualified and his messaging and his, the way that he trains me, his mentality rocks. Yeah. And that, it just, it keeps me. That, that just goes back to the mental part of it. I mean, you can do all the, the physical preparation for anything that you're doing, but if you don't have the mental side of it, it's not going to be hundred percent successful. We've always said, and, and I've said this as a wrestler my whole life and even as a fighter, you look good, you feel good, you do good. Now, you know, and, and if you feel good holding that gun, and that's going to, you know, boost your mental ability to focus or, man, I feel like I'm going to hit everything with this, you're going to because you you physically prepared and now you mentally feel like you can do anything. You know, your success rate is going to go up. With Banded, when we design our clothes and I put and I talked to Christian and Eric, our main two design guys, and from our waders to our bibs to our jackets, and, and again – 
it's that same mentality. I feel like an athlete in them. I feel like I'm going to be successful. I have no other choice <laughs> but to be successful. Yeah. Whether I kill a duck or not, I'm still walking out of that hunt as a sponge. I learned something that day. Mm. I did something wrong today. I learned this today. I got a new trick today. I figured this out. I learned how to move water a different way. I learned where to put my dog. I learned how to hide. Whether, whatever it is. Because my mentality is sharp going into it because I feel good. That's why we team up with these partners. And in, in, in Matt's, Matt's teamed up with different coaches and different partners as well. You have to be on your A game to be a trainer. You're taking a responsibility. You're taking people's livelihoods into your hands. And you're saying, you pay me money. And you're going to come in here and do what I say. And you, whether you get results or not, you're still going to pay me. It's up to you to get the results. His mentality, he, his way of teaching makes you have that mentality of, I have no other choice but to get results. Mm-hmm. You, can't not, you can't walk out of there not going, man, that was the best 60 minutes of my day. And that's what our job as these guys asking us questions is if they ask me a question, he goes, Hey, blow a duck call for me. I'm not doing, I don't need to blow a duck call in front of you or anybody else to prove to anybody that I know how to blow a duck call. I did it because he asked me to. Mm-hmm. And if I would have said no, Dylan, I don't want to do that. Then I don't, I don't want to be that guy because when yeah. I was the person trying to learn, I hated getting shut down. Yeah. But the guys that opened their doors to me, I'm still friends with them. And I, I still sit there and go, man, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So that's why we're teamed up with these guys. I see something in them. You see something in them. Matt sees something in his For partners sure. or his yep. clients. And here's a great point. Matt's fired people that pay him. Yeah. You know, it's oh, usually yeah. the other way around. It's usually that you get fired by somebody that's paying you. Yeah. He fires people that pay him because they don't have that mentality in the gym. They bring us down. Yeah. They bring the, the, the culture, the cancer. They, the, yes, they bring us down. If you're not part of it, you get out. No, I don't, you don't need another dollar. You don't need it. Right, Matt? No, I, you know, thankfully this point in my career, I mean, certainly spent a lot of time struggling and and developing my career to what it was, but you know, we don't, we don't uh, look at the money. We, we, none of us do, right. It's all about our passion for what we're doing. And uh, if somebody's going to come in and bring the culture down and they're not willing to change their ways, then that's when we have to make that decision that we're not going to let that become a part of our culture. So, you know, it's not about the money. It's about um, helping people, about making progress and you know even just want to say that last uh, question about losing weight for a fire season and i know it's a vague answer that i give but this circles back to what we're talking about here is you know people are really sabotaging themselves every day and a lot of times they don't realize it and when that person comes into the gym and they start talking to me really it's an evaluation at that point but are you willing to make the changes Right. Because I don't think, for example, nutrition is that hard. I I really don't. I had a kid um, that I'm working with now. He went, it's not a lot of body fat, but he went from 11% to 9% in the last six weeks. So, you know, he's getting pretty ripped, pretty lean. Right. And he said to me, he said, well, I'm just making better choices because I'm training so hard that I don't want to put anything into my body is going to take away from that training. And that's what I mean by eat so you can do the work, right? Eat and train. And so, you know, people know they have some mallard. What do we do? We just had some mallard duck, right? We had some right. asparagus, right? Yep. You have some good fibrous carbs. You have some good lean meat with some good fats. You know not to put the refined fuels into your body. You know that when you read a label, if you don't even know what that means, you shouldn't <laughs> be eating it, but people are doing it. They do it all the time. And then they want to say that they don't understand why they're not losing weight or why they feel the way they do. Well, you feel like 
poop because you're eating like poop and then you don't want to step out the door and go for that hike that you need to go on to get ready for your hunt. You know, it, it all, one thing, one thing affects the other. And, and I think, you know, a lot of this conversation I've been mostly listening today, which uh, is awesome. I, I love hearing what you guys have to say about all this, but, you know, ultimately I think that people just have to start making better choices and really honor themselves a little bit more so they can get out there and do the things that they really want to do. And if they take that first step, they're going to end up uh, realizing that there's that inner athlete inside of them still. It's still there. I, I can't stand it when I hear people say, oh, I, I used to be an athlete. I was a good athlete back in high school. Mm -hmm. No, you're still a good athlete. Yeah. You, you know, you just have to find it again. It's there. It's always going to be there. Yep. Going back to Les, 77 years old, one of the best athletes that I've ever trained. I'll always say that. You know, I've worked with, you know, Gabby Williams, who set a world record in the high jump for juniors in high school, went on, you know, to play basketball for UConn. We talked about that. She's a phenomenal athlete. Les is right at that level. Yeah. And he, because he, he very easily could have said, I'm too old for that. I don't need yeah. to live. And, but he, you hear that all the time too. I'm too old. I, I'm too old. I used, I used to be in great shape, but man, I'm just too old now. I, I, I know people and I, I qualify for that for a while after I got done playing competitive sports, but I don't, I, I work out to be able to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to be in a, on a calendar. I'm not looking to win a fight. I'm not looking for anything else. Everybody has their health, reason for yeah, it. it I want to be healthy and fit. And I don't think that there's another way to do it. I don't think there's an excuse for not working out, being physically in the best shape that you can possibly be in, making better choices, eating McDonald's every day and donuts and all that stuff. It's too easy. Mm -hmm. It's a very easy skate to go and do that. And it, all it does is just, like you said, Matt, sabotage you. And, and, and hearing Matt talk with the passion that he has is it's really why we're here. And, and, and we're going to end it. We've been talking two hours already. I know it doesn't seem that long, but we truly appreciate the support. And what's so neat is that the caliber of athlete that you are, Mendez, the caliber of trainer that you are, Pandola, um, being able to have these different walks of life walk into this studio and lay down knowledge and show passion of what you do is that's why I love hunting. That's why I, people are like, what's your favorite place to hunt? And I'm like, well, I break it down to like my favorite place to be in the world is duck besides with my daughter is duck camp USA. I love being in duck camp and it doesn't matter, matter if we're where. cooking or it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm in new England or Maine or, or North Carolina or California or Arkansas. It doesn't matter. I just like being in duck camp because once I'm there, I just feel like I'm somebody, you know, I want to be in duck camp and become somebody. And, and, and if it keeps making me feel that way, I'm going to keep going. And that's when we say this life ain't for everybody, I'm not sitting there trying to paint a picture of like, Hey, I kill animals. And if it's not for you, then you go away. That's not what this is about. This is about, it might not be for you, but at least give me a chance to get to know you a little bit. I, I might not agree with two dudes in a ring beating the living piss out of each mm -hmm. other and blood being everywhere with a mop going in there to mop it up. But I don't sit there and voice that because I have respect for it. I might not agree that because you're a vegetarian or a vegan, but I'm not going to down you for it. Go do it. Yeah. More power to you. I, I love you for it. But I'm, but because we hunt or because we fight or because we take people's money to train them, don't down us. Get to know somebody on that level. Get down to the, the, the roots of them and you'll, you'll soon realize that, and this is why I hunt, you'll soon realize that, hey, we got a lot of common blood running mm -hmm. through our veins. 
and we can get down in the ditches with each other in the trenches with each other and we can talk and we can rap and here i am a duck hunter that wanted to be a pro baseball player who wants to be a wrestler the ncaa just got over you were a two-time all-american you were runner-up in the ncaa championships you were a badass wrestler i would do anything to put a singlet on and be able to achieve that my buddies are back right now at the world the freestyle world championships right now you know just going back there and being able to watch jordan burroughs do what he does i wish i was there right now but being able to sit across from a table from a world prize fighter celebrity like you that has achieved what you do what matt's achieved that's why i do this i'm not sitting here going rah rah i'm friends with chad mendez i am buddies with chad mendez and matt pendola because we respect each other Mm -hmm. and we all love each other and we have passion for each other and what we do and that's why this life ain't for everybody you don't have to be a prize fighter to love chad mendez you don't have to be a trainer to understand and respect matt you don't have to kill stuff to understand or respect what chad belding does it's life might not be for you you might be a janitor you might be a pilot that life's not for everybody being a soldier definitely isn't for everybody could you imagine being a soldier? That's no what, they put themselves in yeah. harm's way for our safety and our freedoms. It's not for everybody. That's what this podcast is about. And hopefully the guys that subscribe, the girls that subscribe, the fans that are watching and, and listening, they're getting something out of it that, hey, live life with passion. Make better choices. Nutrition, working out, fighting, hunting, whatever it is. Do it with love and passion. Respect people. Listen to people. Be a sponge. Learn something. Don't be afraid to teach. Don't be afraid to you know, voice your opinions. But most importantly, don't be afraid to shut up and listen once in a while. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's my hardest thing in life to do is because it feels like I'm always talking and I probably am. But man, Mendez, you got a fight coming up. You're saying June or July. Your comeback fight. You've, you've been in the octagon with such studs. Your career is unprecedented. just awesome. And you're humbled. I, I can't wait to be there. Do you have any final words for anybody out there? Anything? No, oh, I just want to say thank you for uh, having me on, man. This was a, a lot of fun. That two hours went by a lot, uh, a lot quicker than I thought, man. I still have a lot of stuff I can talk about, but I know um, we'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. Let's do one after the fight. Cool. Maybe, maybe I'll bring Tom and the crew down to Vegas and we'll do one the day after the fight or something. We'll nice. set up a little, uh, little a little makeshift rig. I might be a little hungover, yeah. but we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we won't be able to film it because you, know, you won't have any black eyes that night. No. You look like you just got out of the sauna. Mm-hmm. Matt, gotcha. it's always a pleasure. Matt's always welcome here. He always lays down. Chad, I, before we go, let's just just tell me, just give me a question that you had for Matt real quick. Well, I got a lot of stuff, and it might be. You guys, I'll get you guys yeah. numbers, and you guys can talk. Yeah, but it's actually a lot of stuff, just about my personal training. But um, and it would probably be another hour or two. So I'll put you guys in touch. But that's what I wanted to do. Is that I just knew that, and I talked to you about Matt like six months ago. I yeah. said I want to bring you up and do a yeah. seminar, and after the fight, I want you to do that. When you have some time, I want you to come up and talk to his athletes about what we talked about today okay. and what it means to to <clears throat> get prepared for competition like you have to do. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be great to do at Pendola Fitness. So what do you got to say, Matt? Yeah, well, you know, I just, to sum it up, I did work with uh, Kelly Parati. She she won the world title for Jiu-Jitsu Masters this last year. And I think it's a good example. She came into me, I think, really under-recovered, over-trained in a lot of ways. One of the things I test for, you look at something like HRV, right? Heart rate variability. So this what is it, kind of the stuff I was going to ask you about. Right, right. I started doing all this for this training camp. So. Oh, well, smart, smart. And and it's definitely a thing I look at with a lot of my athletes. Uh, Kelly had very poor grip strength. Her vertical wasn't what it should be. Those kind of things we looked at too. And so instead of just hammering her with more training, more conditioning, uh, we, we kind of took a different approach to that. And we really took some 
I think some training that was again, mass specific for her force and things like that, but allowed her body to start really recovering better. So her training wasn't at all what I think a lot of people thought it would be. And, and I, at that point, I looked at her main conditioning being, you know, in her skill set on the mat, right? What she was doing there when she came in to see us or to work with me, I was worried a lot more about her function and, and how she was using her body for her sport, right? And also allowing her energy system to really develop again and get back to where it should be. But that wasn't with, you know, more hard, hard conditioning, right? That was with a lot of very specific uh, type of work to allow her body to use the skill set that she had developed. And I think that's what helped her the most and turned it around. But I can't emphasize that enough. I think that uh, I have to say, Joe DeFranco, uh, Jeff Cavalier, you know, uh, Jim Smith, these guys here, I'm actually going to work with them next week. I can't wait. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But these guys taught me a lot about working with athletes like this, especially MMA type of athletes, fighters. I think oftentimes they're overtrained and Mm -hmm. a lot of times we have to look at how well are we actually recovering. So it's work plus rest equals success. So it doesn't mean that we're always taking it easy or anything, but we're just being very specific about how we're spending our our dollar. And that's what I would talk to you more about. I have to get to know each athlete individually and say, okay, you know, that's what, you know, Joey Gilbert, for example. Yeah, we, we did some serious training and we really, especially preseason type of work, we really went after it. But getting ready for a fight, I feel like the hay should be in the barn. And I feel like at that point, you're just leave your ego at the door as a trainer and even as the athlete. And what do you really need today exactly. so that you can use that skill set? Yeah, and- I think that's uh, something that, at least for me in my MMA career, even wrestling, but you just said that the, as the trainer, needs to leave their ego at the door as long as uh, same same with the athlete but a lot of my trainers so i have and this is the toughest thing about mma is i have a wrestling coach a strength and conditioning coach a boxing coach a muay thai coach a jiu-jitsu coach and so each one of those coaches are trying to turn you into that so my jiu-jitsu coach is trying to turn me into a jiu-jitsu player my boxing coach is trying to make me a boxer my Muay Thai coach is trying to make me a Muay Thai and so on. So each, each guy is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make this guy as tired as I possibly can. So every single workout that I'm doing, I'm just getting redlined. And there's no system to that. And so being able to have all these coaches uh, get together and, and have a, a set plan to where preseason, you're building that aerobic base. You know, you're really getting that set in stone to where when you jump over into that you know, eight to 10 week block of training for your camp, your aerobic base is already built. Now you're focused on the speed, the power, and all the specific type of training that you need for whatever your sport is, meaning, you know, for me, MMA. So I can focus all my stuff on the Muay Thai, the boxing, the wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, and, and getting that conditioning in shape. Um, but for, you know, there's so many fighters, and this is, it's always been like this for me, and that's what I said earlier. It's just balls to the wall 24-7. It's as hard as I can go every single workout. And, you know, three, four weeks into that camp, I'm overtrained. I'm burnt out. And now I'm feeling crappier in my workouts four weeks into my camp than before I even started my training camp. I'm getting tired 30 seconds into a, a round. I'm like, what? I'm gasping for air. And I'm like, I, I'm training hard. I shouldn't feel like this. 
well, that's why I'm overtrained. You know, there's, there's too much, not enough rest. And I think fine tuning that and, you know, everybody's, um, ability to recover, everybody's ability to take different types of, um, workloads is, you know, everyone's different. So I think finding that for each athlete and developing that system for that camp is key. And it sounds like you, you work with these guys and you have that figured out. Yeah, he does. And he, that, that's the thing is that doors open and they can close just as fast as they open. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's what I'm so proud of right now is that I just had a feeling that like with his knowledge, I just know that it could help somebody mm -hmm. like you. And it's cool that you do check your ego and at least because some fighter could be here and go, I got a Mai Tai, I got this, I got that, I got this, I got the best coach in the world. I don't need some little trainer from, well, he's not a little trainer from Reno. Yeah. You can understand by listening to him talk that yeah. he's got it going on. So right. that door opens and Matt comes down and he might be that central point that all these coaches report to. And like, he has this plan and like, maybe he, he, he might see something that he can manage that for mm -hmm. you. And that, that's a door that opened out of this podcast. For sure. Can I enjoy it? That's, you just nailed it. The coaches have to communicate with exactly, each other. Yeah. They, they absolutely have to. I, I'm so proud of the fact that I've got this uh, Pandola project team of mine, this, this track team that is a bunch of really dedicated athletes. And I have five of them today at the Arcadia Invitational, which is the biggest track meet in the country for high school. But I will say the one thing that's in common with those five athletes is I am in communication with their coaches. And that makes all the difference because mm -hmm. I have one girl who just texted me or she was actually the one calling when it made that vibrating mm -hmm. noise before, but she was calling me to tell me she just ran one of the fastest times in the country for the 800. Nice. And I'm so proud of her, nice, but man. you look at her a year ago, we were looking very closely at her HRV numbers and realizing that she had been overtraining for too long. Mm -hmm. That communication has to be there. Leave your ego at the door. Her workouts look nothing like uh, another one of my girls who was uh, one of the top runners last night in her event. And yet they're in very similar events because they're di two different athletes. And I have to communicate with that coach as well as that athlete, it can't just be, okay, well, this is the best strength training for you, despite what you're doing on the track and vice versa. And then the coaches have to agree, well, maybe she should be doing less intervals out there. And that, and that's what, that's what, at the end of the day, that's what matters that you're getting that athlete. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, well, I hope that I, I would like to see something, you know, come into fruition because if, if there's, if there's a way that, I could ever give back to Matt what he's done for me. That's why I really wanted to make this introduction, you know, is mm -hmm. that there could, I just saw something there six months ago. If Chad come to this gym and just met Matt, there might be something there. And I've said it with other athletes too, that, you know, that I've met in, in different spectacles that if they, when I went, I went, went to spring training with the Padres one year and I walked into their gym and I was like, dude, Pendola must be training these guys. I'm like, I thought I was the only guy in the world that knew how to roll out like that. Like, and this guy's doing stuff that I do. And then I went to a San Francisco Giants game and they were playing the Cardinals or the Phillies or somebody. And the second baseman, I'm not going to say no names, but the second baseman was doing the things that his warm-up drills were the walks, you know, all the, the, the different box walks that we do and pull, you know, you can name all the give them all the names that you do, Matt. But I was like, I do that every, every week in the gym. So I'm doing all this stuff that these high caliber athletes that are, mm -hmm. that are in the major leagues and that are doing, you know, prize fighters like yourself, 
we're getting that. So I just knew that Matt was on to something different than just a, a regular trainer, you know? So yeah. I hope that you guys talk and I'll, I'll uh, put you two in contact. Cool. Maybe if you're, you know, I, I get 5%, or eight, <laughs> I get 8%, <laughs> <Whatever. laughs> but Hey, doors open today. We might do a cookbook together. You guys yep. might have a little fight management thing going on here. This life ain't for everybody. Mountain ops, Traeger. We love you guys. All of our partners. We got some exciting stuff coming with YouTube with the new, this life ain't for everybody. YouTube channel. That's going to be awesome videos. You'll see Mendez on there. You'll see training videos with Pendola Fitness and the Pendola Project on there. I'm Chad Belding for Chad Mendez. UFC is next fights coming up in July. Find him on Instagram with Chad Mendez. Same as Twitter and Facebook. Pendola Project on Instagram for Matt and his squad. We also um, look look for uh, Chad all over the UFC with fights coming up. Like I said, the middle of this year in June and July. And his guide service is Chad Mendez's Fins and Feathers. You can find them on Instagram, other social platforms, celebrity hunts, book a fishing trip, book a hunting trip with him. I'm Chad Belding for my brother Clay, Tom Rashashin. Thank you guys for all your help today. This life ain't for everybody. Episode four is in the books. And just like our man Bruce Buffer would say, what does he say? It's time. See you, everybody.